Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on December 24th. 2018 aka christmas eve it's christmas eve everybody or at least it is now maybe you'll be listening to the show on christmas day i mean i hope you have better things to do on christmas day than listen to the show but i'm gonna try to get it out on christmas day as a little christmas present to everybody who listens oh that's sweet I know, I know that depends on how busy i am later tonight so don't hold me to that but uh, my name is Corey motley i am a staff writer at gamecritics.com i'm also 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, every week, the lovely Brad Galloway. He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am doing wonderful. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you, sir, and also to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us. Uh, happy to be here with you all and wishing you all the very best. Uh, also, side note, uh, a couple episodes ago, we said that we were recording at the earliest time of the day we've ever recorded. We've actually beat that. <laughs> we are recording even earlier. So, folks, I also apologize if I'm completely incoherent and not making any sense. I've had one cup of coffee. I don't think it's kicked in yet. Uh, and I am definitely a night owl and not an early bird. So please forgive me if none of this makes sense. We will work our way through this. Also, a tiny bit of housekeeping. Um, we just recorded banter. We recorded about an hour of banter. A pretty pretty good banter. I don't want to, like, raise your expectations. It was intense. But, um, intense banter. Yeah, there's some, like, So Video Games exclusive, f uh, like, footage, news stories in a banter this week. But what I really want to say is that... Um, we experienced a handful of like audio issues while we were recording banter where either one of us was cutting out from the other person and we couldn't hear them. Fingers crossed uh, that will not happen as we record our regular show. So if you hear any weird cuts or if it sounds like one of us says something and the other person doesn't respond as maybe like logically as you think they would, um, that's probably for me stitching together and cutting out weird audio stuff in the show. So if you hear anything like that, Apologies, I don't think it'll be a big issue, but I will stitch the show together as best as I possibly can should we have any weird audio things come up while we're recording. How does that sound, Brad? Sounds good. Yeah, today is a bad internet day for some reason. Don't know that there's anything we can do about it. So yeah, apologies in advance, but yeah, good. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, yeah, so yes. Sorry if it sounds weird here and there, but um, we're doing our best. However, we record the show from pretty much diagonally across the United States every week. <laughs> Brad's in Seattle. He's in uh, So Video Game Studios West. I'm in So Video Game Studios Southeast um, in New Orleans. So, you know, I uh, thank my lucky stars that we have this technology at all to be able to record the show every single week for you guys, even though we live, like, diagonally across the United States from each other. But sometimes the Internet just doesn't play well and things come up. But we will persevere. We will move on. Um... Brad, do you have anything before we jump into games? I mean, I, I think what you said is actually kind of amazing, and we should kind of just take a moment to, like, recognize that, because <laughs> literally we are thousands of miles apart. We are in different time zones, and we manage to do this show every week, and it's just, like, no big deal. We just get together and do it, and our fans listen. We have fans across the world, like in South America, in Europe, in those Scandinavian countries that I can never remember where they are or what, what to call them. <laughs> All those people listen to us, and it's, like, totally no big deal. Like, it's just, like, another day in the life, right? But, like, how amazing is that? How amazing is that we can do these things, and the world is getting smaller in that way, and we are more connected with the, the, our brothers and sisters around the globe, and it's just, like, 
it's just like, oh yeah, just like normal. But man, how crazy! Like technology is amazing. We got to just take a minute to just recognize <laughs> and appreciate what we have. So that's I'm really glad that we have the chance, not only for us to do this. Uh, you know, I mean, we've we've spent so much time in this podcast, and I really cherish every one of these days because we get to be good buddies, uh, thanks to the magic of the internet. But we can also invite so many people to share that with us. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, sometimes I think about like, like you know, like pre like Thomas Edison inventing the light bulb kind of days, where like you know back in the day, like how like th- there's no way they could have possibly known that at some point in the world or in the future, like we would have the ability to like talk to people who live across the world, like in the moment or like now we have like video chatting or FaceTiming or whatever, or Skyping where you can literally like see someone who lives like on the opposite side of the globe at the exact same time as you are right then and there. And it makes me wonder, like, I mean, I honestly, to be frank, I don't think that like humanity and civilization is going to be around anymore in like a hundred years. Like I think we're going to, we're going to kill ourselves on the planet. But like, it makes me think about like, if humanity still exists in like 200 years or 500 years or however many years, um, like what the hell are they going to have then that we don't have now? Like, are we going to invent like teleportation technology at some point where you can just like step into like a Star Trek, like transporter. And then like, I could be in Seattle in 30 seconds or something and then be back in new Orleans. Like, it just makes me wonder like what, what else could pop? Cause like, I mean, if you ask, like, George Washington about the internet, like, there's no way they could have ever thought that something like that would have been possible. And then, like, at today, in this day and age, like, what could be possible in the future? Like, we have no idea. And so it just makes me think about, like, what what could be in the future? Um, you know, should humanity not tear itself apart, which I think it pretty much is, but, um, you know, like, what, what else could there be? I mean, good point. I don't think George Washington would have even understood even the concept of what you would try to tell him about if you tried to explain it to him. Um, And as far as our world, we're either going to be living in a series of contiguous Mad Max wastelands, or we will hopefully have clean water and sustainable resources. Um, That's kind of the best I'm hoping for at this point, but I guess we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Sorry. That kind of got dark there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to talk about the future without getting dark, but um, but it is what it is. Um, you want to jump Technology, in? Technology, yay! Yeah. Would you like to? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pre-set up a pun real quick. Oh, okay, damn yes. it! I can't do it anymore. I thought you were gonna talk about your other game first. I was gonna say, do you wanna dive into the next game? But oh, we'll just yeah, say it. We'll meet the it. next I'll segment. Save I'll save it. Say it then. Say it then. All right. All right. Okay. So let's talk about. You're gonna go first this week. Um, I don't want to spoil whatever game you're talking about. I will let you know that I've like heard of it in passing from like a couple people tweeting about it, but I don't really know what it is. I suspect it might be my jam, but I will let you talk about it and describe it, and then we can circle back when you're finished. Sounds good. Sounds good. First game this week is 11-11, Memories Retold. Uh, this is from Ardman Studios, which are the people that make Wallace and Gromit and uh, Chicken Run... And all those movies, like the animated claymation movies, are you Mm -hmm. familiar with those? I am. Okay, so these are those people. I don't know why they made a game all of a sudden. (laughs) I don't know if they're just doing it as a one-off, as a piece of contract work, or if they are getting into games or what. I'm really unclear and really confused by this. Um, But this is about World War One, and it's kind of weird that we're seeing a lot of world war one games all of a sudden, like it's kind of like in vogue to talk about it now, but uh, this is like the third or the fourth world war one game I can think of off the top of my head. But anyway, this is a 
narrative game, kind of like in the Telltale vein, where you have a character who's walking around a small-sized environment, and there's very limited number of things to interact with, and then you talk to people. Uh, so very, very, very much in the, the Telltale style. Um, as a World War One story, they are telling two different tales that are intertwined. On the one side, we have this guy who's in Canada, and he is a photographer, and he is not interested in going to war, but he really wants to impress this girl that he's in love with, and he sees her kind of like going gaga over this guy in uniform, and he's like, well, if I had a uniform too, she would go gaga over me. That's a really bad reason to join the army, just in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, on the other side, we have a German who is working in a Zeppelin factory, because nothing's more German than a Zeppelin, <laughs> and his son is in the war, and he goes missing, and so he enlists in the army to try and find where his son disappeared and he wants to, you know, that's his way of getting on the front to figure out what happened to his boy. And it goes back and forth between these two characters. At the beginning of each chapter, you can choose which one you want to see first, but eventually you have to do them both. doesn't really matter which order you go in. And uh, it starts as they're both in civilian life. Like you get a taste of what the photographer's life is like. He's kind of taking pictures, talking to the girl, feeling like he's uh, friend zoned or whatever. And he wants to get the, uh, Oh my God uniform and you know etc etc then the german guy pretty stoic but at the same time he feels like a responsible father he's really upset that his son is missing on the front lines and uh leaves his wife and daughter at home to go enlist to find his son which i guess makes a sort of sense but he's also abandoning his family back home so i don't know got mixed feelings about that um and so they go back and forth and then uh, eventually they get to the front lines the Canadian guy is with his regiment and they are rushing a big emplacement. Uh, the German guy is actually at the emplacement and then he is like being an engineer and doing engineering stuff there. Uh, stuff, stuff, stuff happens and they eventually meet on the battlefield and then it becomes a story of we are both human beings even though we are on the opposite side and really aren't we just the same underneath it all. So that's kind of what the deal is. Um... I didn't like this game at all. I thought it was really boring, and I oh, thought it was really, really dull. Um, people were telling me that this was a game of the year contender, which is why I checked into it, uh, because I definitely love when people give me hints or tips about stuff, especially if it's something small. And a couple people had mentioned this very highly, and I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'll download it. I'll pick it up, and I will check it out, um, because I'm always on the hunt for for stuff for the game of the year that I want to you know, highlight. And I had enough time left in December that I could check it out. So I did. And I got about, oh, man, I want to say like a third of the way through it. And I just got so bored. I needed to tap out, uh, which is unfortunate and fortunate. I mean, basically, my issues with it stem from the fact that it feels like the game aspect of it is just not there. Like, there's not much that you do. You're basically kind of just like watching these guys tell their story and... I mean, to be frank, I wish they would have gone either way with it. I wish there would have been a lot more to do. For example, if I was the German, I wish I was doing more engineering. I wish I was hunting on the battlefield for my son. I wish I was shooting a couple guys or something. And on the, the Canadian side, I wish I was actively taking more photos or I was uh, dodging incoming fire or something. I mean, you're basically just like walking around 
talking to people that don't have much to say and then you find a couple doodads here and there just to advance the story but it's really slow it's really dull um and i get that they're taking their time to set things up but after a couple of hours um i just felt like oh my god i feel like i should be way further in the story i feel like there should be more happening and I just, I honestly couldn't get through it, dude. I just found it to be really, really boring. Just really dull. Not much happening. Mm, um, that's too bad. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. I was very interested in it, but walking around these maps, I also hit this one section where the map ended up being a little bit bigger than the other maps that came before it, and they wanted me to find this one thing, and I was circling and circling and circling, and I couldn't find it. I didn't know where it was, and I just was getting bored and frustrated because I just couldn't advance the story. Um, so yeah, I just, I mean, either I wanted more things to do or I wish they would have, I mean, I think this would have made just a better animated film, you know, like if they had condensed it down, cut out all the parts that were quote unquote, the game parts, because I mean, finding a flask because one of my friends wants to drink some bourbon before they go to battle is not really that exciting. I mean, he could just pull the flask out of his pocket and we could move on with the story, but you know, taking five minutes for me to go find the flask, which is somewhere on a map that I don't know where it is to go. You know, it's just it's not meaningful stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really doing a lot to move the story forward. And I just yeah, I was like, OK, this is really dull from a gameplay sense. It's really slow from a story sense. And this is a perfect example of somebody wanting something to be a game, but not really thinking it through. Like, it's not really taking advantage of the game side. And I think it would have been. You know, if it was a 90 minute animated movie, I think it would be much more powerful, much more immediate, much more worthwhile than whatever X amount of hours game that it ended up being. So I, I bailed it about the first third. I just was not interested in it at all and uh, could not force myself to get through it. So uh, Dan Weisenberger at Game Critics really liked it. I've heard a couple other people really, really like it a lot. And that's great. I mean, maybe the, the story really picks up after a while, but. For me, at this point in time in my life right now, I was like, I can't get through this because it's just too dull. So, <laughs> unfortunate, unfortunate. I do have one more thing to say, but any questions or comments so far, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. What else do you have? The other thing to say about this is, is there's one thing that's really interesting. Um, when I started this game, I'm playing it on Xbox One. When I, when I went into the menu, like every time I start a new game, I go into the options menu. I don't know if you do or not. but I Yep, every time. Okay, right on. Fist bump. Uh, go to the options and check it out. And they saw one of the options was grayed out and unavailable. I'm like, huh, what is that? And it said, oh, would you... Or it said, like, uh, War Child DLC. And I'm like, well, what's that about? And so I clicked the button, and it took me to the Microsoft Store. And it said, oh, this game is actually participating in a program that is raising money for actual children in the real world who are victims of conflict. So if you buy this DLC, which I think was like four bucks, a uh, portion of the proceeds will go towards an organization called War Child, a real organization, where they set up these quote-unquote kind of safe zones in conflicted areas where they take kids who maybe their parents are dead or the parents are missing or they don't have a safe place to be and they set up schools and little micro playgrounds and they bring them food and water and teachers um, to kind of get them away from the battlefield and to give them like a safe place to be. And I'm like, Oh my God, how can I not buy this DLC? I have to buy this DLC now because <laughs> I'd be the biggest asshole in the world. If I didn't buy this DLC, of course I'm going to buy this DLC. So I bought the DLC and they were very upfront about it. They're like, you know, if you buy this DLC, what you will get is there will be a series of 
documents that you will find and it tells the story of these kids in the war that's all and the rest of the game is not changed like you're not going to get a new ending no new costumes or anything they're like straight up all you're going to get is a bunch of letters back and forth that tell an extra story that's all and if that's what you want then yes and i'm like of course of course i will give you four dollars for these kids in a fucking are you kidding of course and so i bought it set up the dlc activated it um, found the extra documents. I didn't read them because I don't give a fuck about documents and games and reading stuff like that. <laughs> totally don't care. But when you download that DLC and begin the game, they also start the game with actual, literal, real-life footage of those kids in the actual oh, war zone. no. I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And it was like the first one was kids in Africa. They didn't say what country it was, but it was clearly in Africa. And, and the kids, they had testimonials. Like this little girl is like, um, you know, oh, my father, and my brother were killed and I had to run away from my village and I had no place to be. And, uh, these, these people gave me a place to be. And they're showing like the little, the encampment and there's like, you know, food and water and books and the kids are kind of dancing in a circle and it look like they're happy. And she's like, oh, I like being here because it helps me forget for a little while. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. I was like, oh, I like, I seriously started tearing up in that first opening thing. And then you get to the end of chapter one which is as far as I got in the game. And they show you another cutscene, and this time it was a little boy in Iraq, and he was like, oh, yeah, my village is gone, and I don't have anything, and I love these guys because they brought me books and computers, and I can have this life. And I'm like, oh, my God, can I give you another four bucks? I can't, but if I could, I would. <laughs> like, So I don't regret playing the game because I am happy to have donated part of that money to those people, and I think that's a really cool thing that they did because in games we... I mean, I, I'm sure you've killed as many people as I have, virtual people, in, in all the games we've played over the years. And so I think it's fine to take five seconds to recognize that violence is a real thing and the real world is a thing. And there's kids out there who are suffering. And, you know, we are downloading all these games and dumping money on games that we don't even play. And my Steam library, I've never touched it, but I keep buying games and et cetera, et cetera. So to take a couple bucks for these kids who, like, desperately need this help, I think is really cool. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to do that. I just wanted to bring that to the forefront, let people know that that's out there. So maybe buy this game if you're interested in World War One, or if it seems like your jam, even though I thought it was really boring. But at the same time, you can buy the DLC. Please do that. I think also uh, there's a game called This War of Mine. We, have we talked about this before? We must have. I think you have played it and talked about it, but I have not. Um, again, a game that is really boring, and I really dislike that game. But they are also they didn't they weren't doing it then, but I think they are now also joining up with this war child organization to help donate some of their proceeds to kids who are actually in conflict because the people who made this war of mine actually lived through uh, one of those conflicts. I think it was something in Serbia. I'm not correct. I apologize for not knowing that off the top of my head, but uh, so I, I, I'm all in favor of people tying games into something real world that we can help out with. I mean, even just a few pennies or even a few, you know, a few dollars to go towards something like this seems incredibly worthwhile. And I mean, I'm sorry, but if you're listening to this podcast, you've got some money to burn. If you've got a thousand games on Steam, if you've bought some PSN sale games, you can donate 25 cents, 50 cents, a dollar to something where somebody can really need it. So I was really like, I, I liked seeing that and I'm really glad that it was there. And if any other game came along with this DLC or this kind of system of support, I would support it as well. So just thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, that's really, uh, you'd think that they would like, I wonder if you go to buy the DLC and if they like put the screen up, that's like, oh, all you're going to get is documents. Do you want to buy it or whatever? And you say no, if they just start playing those cutscenes for you of the kids in war and then 
you're like, oh, well, shit, now I feel like I have to donate. I feel like that would be... Do you think they would, like, put that up in front? So, like, if somebody's like, oh, fuck these guys, I don't want to give these kids money, and then you, like, see them in the war zones, and they're like, oh, okay, never mind, maybe I will. That would be really effective if they did that, because, boy, it really affected me very much. I was like, oh, shit, like, this is kind of heavy. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they should. I mean, not to necessarily guilt people into doing but i think it's fine to guilt people into doing it if you're gonna <laughs> spend 20 bucks spend 21 you know i mean i know money's tight for some people but these kids are like parents are getting shot on a fucking battlefield i think you can probably find a dollar to send to these kids so anyway um that's 11 11 memories retold it is not going to be on my top 10 game of the year list i didn't even finish it i didn't really even like it but thank you to the people who mentioned it to me i'm sorry that it didn't click uh, but i am happy i tried it and i am happy that i found out about this war child organization and its connection with video games that's a great great thing i think so all right Corey, what do you uh got on your agenda well i've been in kind of like one of those weird funks for the past week where i've kind of just been like playing some games that i've already played before like short games but i don't want to bring like old games to the show because i like, I talked about maybe in banter a few weeks ago about how I bought the two-pack of Limbo and Inside, which are Play Dead's games for PS4. And I played Inside again all the way through about a few nights ago. And I know that you weren't hot on Inside, but I still feel like that game is a masterpiece. I love it. I think it's beautiful. I think it's scary and weird and has one of the best endings to a game I've ever played before. Um I played Limbo about probably about half of it just to kind of like see because the first time I played Limbo, the only time I played Limbo was whenever it came out on Xbox 360, which was like several years ago. It was probably like a decade ago. And I kind of went back to play some of it on my PS4 version just to see like, okay, like what is this game actually good? Or <laughs> do you do you do that where you like play a game and it's like well regarded and you play it and like it and then time passes and you like think like, okay, was it actually good? And then you like go back and try it again. Do you ever do that? I do not do that, but I do the opposite. <laughs> if I think something is good, I, I just, I, I'm sure it's good. But the thing that I do is I go back and I go, I hated this. This sucked. I think it's no good, but people say it's good. So then I will go back to see, is it really bad? I'll, I will, I will double check and confirm badness, but I will not double check and confirm goodness. I have done, I've done that too. I've played a game that I didn't like. And I think we've talked about this on the show where like you play a game that's like well regarded in like the critical sphere and you don't like it. And then you go back and try it again just to confirm. Yeah, I've done, I've done that before. I know I've talked about it on the show, but I can't remember exactly what game it was. Um, but I played, so I played some of Limbo and I, th I still think that Limbo is good, but the thing that I don't like about Limbo, and this is where I think Insight is way better, is that Limbo, I mean, it's like, it's, like, no, a known fact, I guess, or known, like, thing that Limbo is, like, kind of a hard game. You, like, die a lot, and it's, like, kind of, like, one-hit-kill deaths, and it's usually from, like, platforming or from stuff. But what I don't like about Limbo is that almost every death in that game is very much, like, a gotcha death. Like, like totally. Like, yep. It's, like, yep. there's no way you could predict that you were going to die in that scenario. So you, like, have to die in order to figure out how to get farther in the game. And I think that's kind of annoying, but what I like about Inside, what I love about Inside, is that it is possible to die a lot in Inside as well, but it's rare, I don't, I mean, I would, I, I, I would say with confidence that there is not a single point in that game where it springs a death on you and you have to die in order to learn what to do next. I mean, it's possible that you might, 
maybe not run fast enough, maybe, because there's like a handful of chase sequences where if you pause for a second, you're toast. But, you know, you pausing for a second, you obviously know you're supposed to be running forward, so it's not like the game springing something on you. And that's where I think Inside gets it right a lot better than Limbo. Um, I still think Limbo is a pretty good game. Um, I haven't finished it again yet. I'll probably start back up on it later if I have time. But um, I like how I, I began this section by saying, I don't want to talk about old games. And then I immediately started talking about old games. Um, Welcome so, to video games. Hey. I, I mean, hey, we say uh, anything new, old, anything in between. We're here to talk about it. So, um, so those a couple. I also yep. dabbled yep. a little bit in ruiner on pc again um i know you also didn't like ruiner very much but i dug it they released a patch recently that gives you like you can basically turn on cheat codes which i think is awesome i wish more developers did this for like agreed, a year after agreed. the game comes out they just give you like god mode and let you do everything because it's pretty much what they do in ruiner there's like you press f8 and it brings up like a cheat menu and there's probably like 12 options you can choose from you could do like um, invincibility, you can do unlimited energy, you can unlock all the outfits, you can do unlimited ammo, you can do unlimited melee weapon strength. So you can only, you can toggle the ones you want, which is great. It doesn't just turn all of them on at once. So like I turned on God mode and unlimited energy, but I did not turn on like unlimited ammo because I wanted to still cycle through weapons. So I like made it a lot easier on myself, but not like super easy. So um, I really like that because Ruiner is also kind of a hard game, but it's um, I don't think it's impossible because I played it on easy mode and I sailed through most of it. Um, let's let's cool. pause on this for a second, dude. I think and this is a good point that you bring up. I want to like chew on this for a minute here. Yeah. Like I I one thousand percent agree with you that I wish developers would give you those toggles, um, you know, the different cheat codes or to change different things in the environment. So um, I did not like Ruiner, but I bet I would have liked it more if I had had those toggles on. And I mean, kind of a similar story with Darkest Dungeon, which I, you know, you know, I love that game. I love that game pretty hard. And, but that how, game. Hold on, how, remind us how many times you've purchased this game? Like five times. <laughs> so I own like two separate hard copies and three digital versions. So I think you could say that I love that game. Um, like literally five. But I didn't actually get into that game until they added more toggles. And so, like, it was the Switch version that had the. Uh, ability to toggle whether or not enemies got like lucky death blows, whether um, certain effects were off or on, whether you could, you know, like there was a number of options that were not there before. And so I went through all these options and I was like, okay, I do like this thing. Check that. Okay. No, I hate this thing. I'm going to check that off. And, you know, after doing all those, uh, you know, self-imposed checks and balances, I love that game. The game is, like, so great. I, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I love Darkest Dungeon so much. But it was, like, the fourth iteration of it, and it wasn't until those things were there to let me customize the experience. I don't see any problem with developers giving players a choice of those options. And not, a, not even necessarily that it's just god mode or not, but just, like, you know, how much damage? Or do you like this particular effect that happens? Or, you know, what do you think about this? Like, let us customize it, and then let us enjoy the game that you made in the way that we want to enjoy it, you know, like, like you want people to play your game. If you're a game maker, I think that's really the ultimate goal of anybody who makes a game is like, you want people to see what you've done and why would you not want people to have the ability to enjoy it? And I know that there's some people who's like, well, that's not the artist's vision. Like whatever, dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> let people customize, let people change. Let me interact with what you've created in the way that is best for me because I'm not you. My life situation is different. My time availability is different. My, my patience level is different. Like, I just, I just don't see a downside to letting players opt in, like give them the vanilla, vanilla experience, and then they can change it if they don't like that. I mean, I mean, would you be 
fine with this being in every single game, Corey? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, because I remember you, uh, whenever you played Celeste, I remember us having a discussion about this, too. Um, I mean, I think this is, I think it's a good thing. I think the, sort of like the, um, I don't know, I mean, like, maybe, like, the caveat or the difficult thing here is, like, obviously, in order for developers to, like, think about this and implement this and do it and patch it and whatever, I mean, it takes probably a lot of time and a lot of commitment and a lot of, you know, development time and everything, because they don't just press a button on the keyboard and it, you know, puts a, you know, sort of like a debug menu up for cheat codes and stuff. So I think some of it depends on, you know, the funding and the success of the game itself or the developer and publisher at hand. But I think like in a perfect world, I would like this sort of thing to be implemented in a lot of games. But I also know that it's not just something people could snap their fingers and make it happen in every game they make. Very true. That is a fair point. I think also um, one thing to consider is that maybe the developers don't realize that some of the things that they think are really cool and neat actually fucking suck, and so people want to turn them <laughs> off. So maybe just getting feedback from the community is one thing that spurs them in that direction. But, I mean, like, for example, like, um, in something like an Assassin's Creed or something like a Battlefield or whatever, where there's, like, billions of dollars poured into it and 300 people on the development team or whatever, like, in a case like that, I don't really see any reason why the story mode can't have toggles or, you know, any big-budget game where it's like, just let me just let me play the way that I want to play, because that's really... I mean, isn't it really about, like, enjoying things? It's not... I, I just don't see games as, like, a dig metric contest anymore or, like, a, a hurdle to get over. Um, so... And it's funny you bring up Celeste, too, because Celeste is actually a stunningly difficult game. Did you ever... Did you ever get around to playing it or no? I never played it. Okay. I don't think it's probably your jam, but that's a game where I played it on the vanilla settings, and the vanilla settings are really hard. Like, it's... You must have, like top top level platforming skills to get through that uh but after i got done with it i went back and there's all these other toggles like infinite jumping and you don't die when you touch spikes and there's all these you know all this other stuff that you can turn on that i chose not to because i wanted the the core experience but just having those options was wonderful so i think that's a great uh, a great thing and i wish more people would would at least consider that as they go through development because you know maybe people have some disabilities that they need to work around or maybe some people just don't like your bullshit. Maybe some people like your ideas, but they don't like your gameplay. So maybe give us some more options. Anyway, sorry. Total tangent there, but I think that's a really great point you raise up because I, I want to see more toggles like that. Yeah, I think... Um, I definitely think that Ruiner is better. Well, I don't think it's better for it, but I like that it gives you the options for all that stuff. But, um, but what I really wanted to talk about... So in the midst of trying all these... Uh, playing some old games that I you know just kind of wanted to dabble in again because I wanted something short and sweet and stuff like that... Um, I, uh, the winter steam sale is on right now. So there's a bunch of games that are originally like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50, $60 that are now like $3 and 74 cents or something like that. So, um, I picked up a couple games on the steam sale. Um, one game that I've had in my wish list for a long time is a retro first person shooter called strafe, which correct me if I'm wrong, you have played and you did not like, is that right? I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, I feel like I remember you saying something about this a long time ago, but I could be mistaken. It's possible, but I got to be honest with you, I'm not, nothing is leaping to mind with just the name. You want to <laughs> describe it a little bit? Yes. So it's a game called Strafe. It is published by Devolver Digital, um, one of our favorite publishers on the show. And um, it is a first person shooter. It's very retro looking, it looks very similar to like old Dooms on PC. Um, it is, uh, see, what I didn't know whenever I bought this game, and I'm an idiot because it's right there on the store page, and if I would just learn how to read, I would have known this, um, 
But what I didn't know as I got caught up on the retro visual flair of it is that this is a roguelike. And we all know I'm like, if, if you know, you're in a room with 100 people, I'm the one who doesn't like the roguelike or whatever. But I thought I'd give it a shot. It was like less than $4 on Steam sale, and it's been in my wish list forever. So I picked it up. Um, it's pretty much just a retro-looking first-person shooter. You're in, like, a some kind of, like, space station or, like, spaceship or something. There's, like, monsters everywhere. It kind of... The monster design kind of reminds me a little bit of, like... Half-Life 2 were, like, a retro first-person shooter. Like, if you, like, degraded Half-Life 2 into, like, Doom 2 level visuals, like, that's kind of what it looks like. Because there's, like, a monster, kind of, like, a spidery-looking, like, human hybrid monster that kind of, like, jumps around. And it reminds me of, like, a big, like, head crab um, with kind of, like, a human torso. That sounds really grim, and it kind of is. But, um, like, there's that, and there's, like, a couple monsters that look like the head crab zombies but they like shoot guns or they throw grenades at it and it's basically i mean the game is called strafe because it's kind of like fast and deadly and you i mean it's basically just a roguelike you're going through different levels um you're collecting scrap in the levels as you shoot all these monsters and you can use the scrap in the level to there's like a couple of sort of like storefronts that's a really bad word to use vending machine is maybe a better word to use where you can use the scrap in the level to like upgrade your armor or get more health or something like that there's a couple of like food um like things like vending machines where you can like grab some food to refill your health but um it's pretty like difficult i mean which is kind of the point of roguelikes i feel like and um, every level, I don't know if it's procedurally generated, but, like, whenever you start the first level, like, the opening room looks the same, but once you leave that room, like, things are a little bit different from there on out, and you have to, like, kill a bunch of stuff, and then, like, get to the end of the room, and then you move on to the next one, but if you die, you, like, start back at the first level. I mean, this is pretty standard roguelike stuff, but what I don't, what I think makes me dislike this game a little bit is that I kind of just, like, don't understand what it's doing, and, and maybe that's partially my fault for, like, not taking the time to, I don't know, like, read the, I don't know, like, all everything on the storefront or something, but, like, I did the tutorial, and the tutorial basically just shows you how to, like, move and shoot and use, like, the vending machines and tells you how to get scrap and everything, which is pretty standard tutorial stuff, but then you start the game, and, like, you, you know, you go through the levels, you're shooting these monsters. Whenever you get to the end of the level, you have the option. There's, like, a couple of different ways to exit. There's, like, a, there's, like, two different, like, portal things, and I don't know what the difference is between them. And, like, sometimes when I exit, I, like, move on to the next level, and I've never made it past level two, so that's, like, also problematic for me. It shows kind of, like, how terrible I am at this game. Um, I haven't made it past the second level, and, like, sometimes when I die, I respawn, and I'm in, like, the first level, but because it's sort of, like, procedure... I don't know if it's procedural generation, but it's just a little bit different. When you respawn in the first level, like, things kind of look a little bit different, so, like, sometimes I think I've, I'm actually still moving on in the game, but I don't actually think I'm moving on in the game, and I wish that, like, the game would make it a little more clear, like, exactly how you're progressing, or, like, whenever you get to the end of the level, like, which portal you go through that takes you where, and, I mean, partially, this might be me being an idiot, but... Like, another game that I talked about a long time ago that Devolver also published is a first-person roguelike, which is very similar, called Heavy Bullets. And this is the one where you have a pistol, and whenever you shoot your gun, you can actually... You have to pick the bullets back up from the environment and reload them into your, ga into your gun. And these games are pretty similar. Like, they're both retro-looking first-person roguelikes. They're both... Um, 
like Strafe is uh, kind of bills itself as more of like a fast action game, and Heavy Bullets is a little more strategic because you have to like pick up the bullets and then reload your revolver, and you have to reload it slowly. But like Heavy Bullets kind of tells you like everything you need to know. Like, here's the vending machine. You can save money. You can deposit the money to use in later levels. It's very clear about, like, how many levels there are and, like, your progression. And I feel like Strafe is kind of, like, nebulous about the overall, like, framework of the game. And it just kind of... I mean, it's not a... I don't think it's a bad game. And I feel like people who like retro first-person shooters and who like roguelikes, this is probably pretty good. Um, But it's just, like, not entirely my jam the the roguelike nature of it and sort of like the unclear objectives of what's going on like left me feeling a little bit cold so i just like stopped playing it i have never played this one i looked it up when you were talking i i i'm sure i've seen it at some point i've never played it though um because i'm not a fan of retro shooters i'm not really a big fan of shooters like this this kind of it looks like like Doomish or something like that. Would that be accurate? Kind of like a '90s sort of a early first-person fast action shooter kind of a thing. Oh yeah, it's totally okay. like that. Yeah, I'm just. That, I mean, nothing against it. Just, just not my jam. Just not a thing that I enjoy. So I probably wouldn't ever play it. But is this the kind of? I mean, it sounds like what you're describing. Is this the kind of thing where it's like you're supposed to just figure out on your own? Like, is is discovery part of this? process like i hear you saying like they don't explain anything and it kind of reminds me of um below which we talked about last week where a big part of below was they don't tell you jack shit and so you're supposed to like you know i guess experience the joy of discovering and figuring things out which didn't ever happen for me because i thought the game was just really badly made and annoying (laughs) is that kind of like what's going on here like do they expect you to figure things out like oh i died and that thing was this and now i know and i'm not going to die next time and like was was that the loop that you're supposed to get into I mean, it doesn't seem that way. Like, it seems... Because I believe in a such thing where, like, a game doesn't tell you anything and it's still, like, is interesting enough for you to keep playing. Like, I would maybe... I mean, I just talked about Inside. I feel that way about Inside. Like, when you start Inside, like, you have no fucking clue what's going on. It's also possible to finish that game and still have no fucking clue what's going on, but that's a different thing entirely. Um, But, like, just the circumstances surrounding the gameplay and the environment are so interesting that I kind of don't care what's going on. Like, it's just, like a fascinating, like, carrot dangle in front of me. But this game, um, Strafe, is just, like... It's just, like, here, you're in a level and you're shooting things, get to the end of the level. And there's no... Because there's no story, there's no, like... There's no carrot to dangle. It's just, like, you're shooting these monster things, you get to the end of the level, and then you move on. Like, there's not really... I mean, if there were, like, a story, maybe I would be more intrigued to, like, keep playing it. But because it's literally just, like level after level of shooting things and sort of like gathering your scrap and moving on. It's kind of like not really that interesting to me. And I don't really know like if roguelikes tend to have stories. Like I, f- I don't, I don't play them enough. So I feel like mostly it's just like here, go from this stage to stage to stage and shoot things. And then, Oh, you died, start all the way over or something. So like, I don't know if story is like a strong thing for roguelikes, but it's definitely not in this one. So it kind of leaves me, wondering why I should even be playing it at all. Like, challenge aside, but challenge is not enough to keep me playing your game. I don't remember what year this was put out by Devolver, but I want to say it was one of their earlier releases. Does that sound right to you? I don't know. I think it's been out for at least a a couple of... I want to say, like, two years or something. But it's out on platforms, too. It's not just PC, but I don't know when it came out. Yeah, I think this is probably from their 
earlier period. I think I feel like Devolver. I mean, I do love Devolver. Like, don't get me wrong, but I feel like there was a period where they were kind of like they were picking games that just weren't quite all the way there. I don't know like what was going on. Maybe the person choosing the games had a certain thing in mind, or I don't know what aesthetic they're going for. But I feel like their more recent releases are really like overall just kind of better. Like they, the whoever's picking the games is is picking better ones, but. I feel like this was from the earlier period where their stuff was really hit or miss. Um, so I, I remember just being really not interested in this one. And like I said, not my jam anyway. But in terms of roguelikes, I mean, they can have a story. I think I've, I've played... I mean, I love roguelikes. I'm definitely the roguelike guy if it was going to be between the two of us. And I've played many. And some of them do. Some of them really have a lot of story. And it's really cool to un unpack that over time. Some of them don't. And it's just about the process. I mean, it really can go back and forth. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking at this one, and I'm just like, none of this looks good to me, so I don't think I would. <laughs> Even as a roguelike fan, I don't think I would want to get into that, so I don't blame you for bouncing off. I don't remember ever hearing much about it, and whenever somebody brings up a game and I've got, like, zero in the databanks, you can probably be pretty sure that there wasn't much to talk about. <laughs> well, I don't have... I guess I don't really have anything extra to say about this game other than maybe if you like fast roguelikes, this will be your thing, Um but it's not for me, unfortunately. But I gave it a shot. I bought it. So here we are. But I don't think I have anything else to say. Right on. Right on. Well, I think I will give it a pass. And I think we should probably just move on. Um, we got oh, a hold on. More... Hold on. Hold on. Are you ready to... Here we go. Are you ready to dive into oh, your next oh. game? Oh, nice. Nice. Yes, <laughs> so don't, I... don't compliment me on that. That's terrible. No, that was good. I'm glad you did that. That's good. <laughs> Uh, no, yes, absolutely ready to dive in. I am going to be talking about Subnautica, which comes out from, I believe it's Unknown Worlds, I think is the development studio. Apologies if I got that wrong. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, this is the last game that I had on my quote unquote, you know, try it before the end of 2018, uh, for possible game of the year consideration. Um, I mean, I'm sure people probably know, but like, you know, I play as many games during the year as possible and there's always like a dozen like at, at, on December 1st where I'm like, oh shit, I haven't played these these dozen games and these are ones that might be pretty good. And I know it's impossible for any one critic to play all the games that are worth playing, but you know, I try my best. It's kind of a holdover from the olden days when it actually was possible to play all the good games. <laughs> I mean, not so much anymore, but old habits kind of die hard. And so I'm like, I really want to play at least these ones, which kind of caught my attention because I, I it kind of sucks to like do a game of the year episode. And then in January you play something that's amazing. And you're like, Oh damn it. I wish I would have had it for the last episode. You know, like it, it's happened sometimes and I want to give games their proper due. So anyway, this was the last thing on my list after Subnautica, nothing else left. And I'm going to lock in my top 10, which we're going to be doing uh, next week. I think next week, week after, um one more week me, let me check my calendar hold on because boy this year is flying by dude um I, yeah i think next week we're gonna be doing no it's gonna be like two weeks two weeks away. okay yeah two All weeks right. you heard it here folks two weeks our game of the year show game of the year show yeah slated roughly january 6th is when we'll be recording that okay cool so yeah i will definitely have my top 10 locked in by that point we can talk about that at some other some other date we'll talk about it in two weeks but this was the last one and i'm really 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 glad that i got to it uh before the end of december because spoiler subnautica is fucking amazing i love this game <laughs> If you follow me on Twitter, you already know this. This is not a secret. I've been posting little video clips. I've been posting screenshots. I've been just like 
talking about it constantly because I think it's amazing and I really want more people to know about it. And I want more people to play it. Um, so Subnautica is, it's a little bit of a lot of things, but a lot of people think it's a crafting game and that's it. But And there is crafting. To be fair, crafting is a large part of it, but it is not just a crafting game. And you know I'm not really a fan of crafting. And if it was just crafting, I would have been like, cool, 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 I'm out. But it's much more than that. Uh, basically, the story of this game, and yes, it does have a story. I've talked to a lot of people who are surprised it has a story. It does have a story. <laughs> you play a passenger on a interstellar ship of some sort. I don't know if it's like a cruise ship or a military ship. or anything. Vague, vague. Uh, you're on this big ship cruising through space and your ship has trouble and you crash on a water planet. You are apparently the only survivor. Uh, there's uh, so, okay. There's definitely a story in this game. I'm not going to spoil any of it. This is not a spoiler section. So I'm going to be avoiding certain things and I'll be, if I sound like I'm being really vague on it, please forgive me, but I'm trying not to spoil anything. So you are the only survivor uh, and you're in a little life pod. It's like a little bubble with little floaties on it. And you're just bobbing on top of the sea and like 99% of the planet is water. So you get down there, you wake up, you're all alone. You're in this little life pod. And the cool thing about this is that the developers have clearly taken a lot of time to think their game through. Now, to be fair, crafting is a large part of this game, but it's not just crafting for the sake of crafting. There is a reason for the crafting, there is logic behind the crafting, and there is a system behind the crafting. I cannot get into all of it right now because part of it is a surprise, but I will say that it is logical and it makes sense and there's reasons for all of it. So just roll with it at first and you will figure it out as you go along. But I love what I love what they've done with it. It is so smart and it is so perfect. Um so inside your little life pod, there is a machine called a fabricator. And when you wake up from your crash landing, uh, you pick up a, a little, like a tablet, and it's like, hey, welcome, you're in a life pod and you're a survivor, so here's what we're going to do. This life pod is, is designed to keep you alive in hostile situations. And it comes preloaded with a uh, first aid kit and a little bit of food and water. And we also have this fabricator machine, and this machine can make anything that you need. We have preloaded blueprints in our 3D printer, all you need to do is feed raw materials into the machine and we will print you things to keep you alive. And I'm like, yes, that's great. They totally took, you know, because like in any other crafting game, it's like, oh, you punch a tree and you get a piece of wood and then you get that piece of wood and you make uh, a table or you make something. And it's like, there's no real reason or, you know, why it does that or, you know, how it works. You just make it and you're supposed to go along with it. But in this game, they literally took a minute to say, well, how would this even happen? How would you even craft anything? How would this guy who's just a passenger on a ship, be able to make a knife or a, a house or, you know, an oxygen tank. Like, how would you do that? Well, they've taken care of that for you. Like, they totally set it up where this is part of your survival kit. I love it. Brilliant idea. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> 3D printer. All you got to do is feed it with raw materials. Perfect sense. Very logical. I love it. I love stuff that makes fucking sense. So it's not hard to get on board with that because uh, the machine will tell you, oh, I need this kind of material and I can make this thing for you. Bring me some titanium and I'll make you a scuba tank or whatever. So like, you know, you go along with this, you make some stuff and you jump into the water at some point because you're going to have to leave your life pod at some point. And like you get in the water and it's just like, it's beautiful under the water. Like these guys have done an amazing job of crafting this undersea environment. It looks gorgeous. The water effects are gorgeous. The animals swimming around underwater are clearly alien, but they look like 
they would be real animals. Like there's a, 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 an artistry to them and a design that makes sense. Like you can watch them swimming around, doing their own little routines. And it's not difficult to imagine that this is like a real living biome, you know? So you swim around, uh, you craft things like, you, you know, you start out small, make yourself some swim fins and then air tank. And then you, you got to stay close to the surface because you can't be underwater for very long. But as the game goes on, you build more and more things. Um, you find some wreckage from your ship uh, that you will get, like, you know, new things to make. Or sometimes the game will say, uh, oh, conditions have changed. Like, for example, this is not really much of a spoiler, but at one point, the radiation level of your world goes up. And so the little fabricator says, oh, the, the conditions of this world have changed. We have now unlocked the radiation things that you need. So it wasn't there before when you didn't need it. But then once you do need it, it does show up and it, there's a logic to why it shows up and it makes sense. So I really appreciate that as well. Uh, the UI, I think, is pretty great. Like, it's very clear to see what you need to make what and they make it very easy to find out what you need. So they don't overwhelm you at first, which is good. They only give you the stuff that you need. Once you get comfortable with that, things kind of unlock slowly as you go. And it, it's very clear, very concise. Uh, they keep track of all the information in the game if you ever need to refer back to it so that's really good as well i mean the ui i think is really great and there's a lot of helpful systems in there uh so that's really good but the thing that i really like about this the most is there's a real sense of exploration and of um just being in an alien environment and checking it out and using your head to survive and discovering things i mean just kind of swimming around on the bottom and seeing these weird monsters and finding little pieces of metal to use or, you know, finding a wrecked piece of your ship and scavenging whatever you can get from it and bringing it back to your life pod. It's all just like really compelling. Like, I mean, it just, it all comes together so well and it's not hard to kind of fall into the, I mean, I hate to say it, it's kind of a pun, but like the immersive quality of this game because uh, it just, it just comes together so well. Um, the other thing that I really like is like the feeling of crafting something. It's not just stuff to make for the sake of making it, but like, whenever you make something new, it's like, oh God, this is amazing. Like I totally needed this thing. Like I needed this thing to survive. And like all of a sudden, like you're surviving way more or you have something that really helps you. I mean, for example, the first time that I made um, a little submarine, I gathered enough materials to make my little mini sub. It was like this huge revelation where I was like, oh my God, I can finally go deeper and I don't have to come up for air every five seconds. And I'm protected from these fucking piece of shit fish that keep biting me. And I'm, you know, like you can go so much further. Like everything you make is just like a big step of like, this feels amazing to make this. And it feels like it was worth it. You know, like you're not just collecting bits of stuff because it's busy work. It's just like you're exploring and you're dodging fish and you're finding things. And then when you make something, it's like, yes, I finally got this thing. Like, you know, you can build bigger and bigger things. And as you go, the developers are really smart because they've put in certain systems, which I'm not going to spoil here, uh, that kind of keep the story moving forward. So you're not just stuck in a rut of just crafting to craft, but things happen. And you're like, oh, this thing happened and I want to go do this thing, but I got to craft something before I can do that. Okay, cool. I feel really motivated to go do that. And there's a good reason for you to do this. And so I'm excited about doing it. And it's not just busy work or not just a thing I got to check off, you know? So the story kicks in and there's a lot of really interesting stuff that happens in the story. Again, not going to spoil it, but... Uh, I really like that there's actually a plot, and unlike a lot of crafting games, there is an end point. There is a beginning, middle, and end of the story. There are characters, there are things that happen, there are twists, there are surprises. 
So it's it's a lot of crafting and survival, which I think is is really compelling for a lot of people, but not for everybody. And then on top of that, they have crafted an absolutely beautiful, beautiful undersea world. Uh, they've given you lots of little hooks to keep you interested narratively. Uh, there is a pace to it. There is lots of different things to see and do. Lots of lots of things that happen that are just very, very fucking cool. Um, I, I know I'm not really being very specific, and I'm really sorry about that, but I honestly think that a lot of the joy of this game is in the discovery and the exploration and the surprise, and I would be doing a real disservice if I spoiled that. But I absolutely love this game. I think it is brilliant. I think it is so smart. I think it is so good. I played like i think between the last two days i think i probably put in 12 or 15 hours over the last two days which is a lot of game time for me an unprecedented amount um in the last couple of years so i just have not been able to pull myself off of this i think it's just so fucking good and i just want to keep playing more and i just i love every minute of it i i think it's brilliant stuff brilliant stuff Corey, your thoughts okay i have a couple things to say here maybe maybe three things so maybe more than a couple um I just want to say that, first of all, when you're talking about the crafting system and, like, the fabricator that makes stuff for you, I immediately thought, I know you didn't like this game and I loved this game, but I immediately thought of Prey because in Prey that came out last year, um, it's pretty much the exact same thing in that game. There's, like, you pick up different crafting material. And it's not a crafting game, mind you. Like, it's just basically a way that you can make more ammo for yourself or more med kits or more, like, whatever. And But that's pretty much how it works in that game. You have, like the fabrication machines that are all over the space station, you get like the raw materials or you can break stuff down into raw materials. You take it to the machine, you load the materials in and then you decide what it wants you to make and then you say, make it and then boom, it makes it. So it's like a really easy kind of like fluid way of crafting um, that I liked in that game because it's not a crafting game, but there are elements of crafting in it. Um, Two other things to note. The first thing is that Epic Games has recently launched its own game uh, store very similar to Steam or to Itch, um, and if I get the show out soon enough, which I think I will, um, Subnautica, if you're a PC player, is free. If you download the Epic Game Store and you buy it on the Epic Game Store, it is free, totally free, 100% free, until the 27th of December. So there's only a few days left. So if we're talking about this and it sounds really good and you're a PC gamer, I would recommend, I mean, basically as soon as we finish the show today, I'm immediately downloading the Epic Game Store and I'm going to download this game because it's free and you've said good things. It sounds really good to me. I want to try it. Um, so keep in mind, everybody, if this sounds good, it is currently free right now on the Epic Game Store for PC. The other thing I want to say is I think after the launch of this game, they patched in a VR version, a way to play this game in VR. And obviously we've talked about on the show about 8 million times, anytime there's a VR component to a game. I mean, this game already sounds interesting enough on its own, like, but because there's a VR component, I'm like, there's like an additional percentage of interest on my part in this game. Um, but I wanted to ask you, I know you're not a VR player, you don't have access to VR, um, but if you could like imagine playing this game in VR or like how maybe that would affect the way that I would feel playing it. Like, do you think that would be like a good idea or a terrible idea? Or like, what do you think about this game in VR being put together? Well, that's a really good question. And I'm glad you brought this up. So I think the game is fucking amazing flat. Like I think it's outstanding, outstanding. And, and you don't, you know, I don't say that often. Like I'm not on the <laughs> show every week praising games up and down. Um, <laughs> so for me to say something is over the top amazing. It's a good game. Uh, Okay, so this is not a horror game. It is a crafting, science fiction, survival, aquatic game. But it is a 
horror game by default because number one, being underwater kind of skews me out a little bit. Uh, and also when you are under the water in this game, like you start off in the shallows and that's all fine, well and good. It looks like a little tropical area. It's cute, you know, colorful fish, etc., etc. But you, as I'm sure you can guess, and this is not a spoiler, will eventually have to go deeper. And when you go deeper, just like in real life, that is when the creepy shit shows up. And I am already scared when I go deep when I play this game <laughs> because the water gets dark. You have to deal with how you light your environment. Some of your vehicles have lights on them. You can make lights for yourself. But at the same time, it's not the same thing as being in a well-lit environment. And so having it be dark is a thing. I'm sure it is not much of a spoiler to say that there are some things under the water which are not friendly. <laughs> so there's been a couple of times when I've kind of lost my shit being underwater and being like, <laughs> uh, so it is a default horror game for me. I suspect it will be scary in at least a few parts for most people. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm not playing it in VR. Uh, I, I would not want to play this in VR because I think I would be too freaked out. I think it would be, I think it would be amazing if it, if the developers have done a good job and if it's translated to VR well, I think this would be a, an amazing game in VR. I would not want to do that myself, but I <laughs> I think you should try it in VR and let me know how it goes because I think it would be outstanding. I It would, it would freak me out too much. I'm already too freaked out by it um, in a good way, but also a little bit in a bad way because just being like, you know, like you're underwater and it's dark and you can see a little bit and it seems like the darkness goes on forever and then something comes swimming up to you out of the darkness and I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> So I would not want to do that in VR. I would shit my pants. I just wouldn't want to even do that. So you try it. Let me know um, how that goes. But if if it's a well-done port, I would imagine probably pretty outstanding. Yeah, I will try it because um, I'll download it after the show. And I, I'll play it. I'll try it kind of like Invisible Hours. I'll try it both flat and in VR and see how it goes. But one of my favorite things is games that are not horror games that also scare you and this remind this makes me think the first thing i think of is fallout 3 and fallout new vegas because i would never describe fallouts as horror games but there are times in those oh, yeah. games where oh, yeah. you're in a building you can hear something a super mutant or a zombie or something and you know that as soon as you turn that corner it's going to come like running through a door and attacking you and there's some really intense stuff that happens in those games so i like the, the element and the idea of having a game that is not specifically crafted to make you scared, but has moments that do anyway. I think it's really kind of um, a good, uh, I guess, like attribute to uh, games or developers who do that kind of thing. So I'm definitely intrigued. I'm adding this to my list to play before we do our Game of the Year show. And who knows? Maybe it will swim its way into my top 10 as well. Who knows? Ooh. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, I think it is a... A mark of excellence when a game is able to navigate many different emotional states where it's not just intense, but maybe it's funny, maybe it's interesting, maybe it's exciting, maybe it's scary, maybe it's peaceful. And I think Subnautica goes through all of those. Like, it's able to go through so many different versions of itself. Um, I mean, it can just be like a chill, hey, I'm collecting pieces of titanium on the bottom of the sea and it's really colorful and I'm just chilling and this is really cool and I'm swimming and it's fun. And then I went deeper than I've ever been last night. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am fucking scared shitless right now. And it's dark. And I'm 
something is out here and I can fucking hear it and I can't see it. And oh my God, I got to get the fuck out of here. And there, I mean, there's so much great to it. And also there's a good balance between excitement and danger, like joy and danger. Like there's a joy in this game of just being underwater and swimming and, and making things and being great. And there's also like, there's also death. I mean, there is also like real danger when you're playing. Uh, this game goes through all of those things like, like expertly. And I got to say, they just, I mean, just the underwater world itself is just over the top. Amazing. I've got nothing but good things to say about this game. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. It may not be your jam. I don't know if it will be. Um, but I am loving it. I, I literally cannot put this game down. Uh, I'm really, really glad I got to it before the end of the year. You will 100% for sure find this on my top 10 uh, this year. So that's all I have to say right now. I probably will circle back when I finish it. And also, I, we should probably talk about it after you try it just to at least see what you thought of it. But uh, so far, I would absolutely recommend this to anybody. This is a pretty fantastic game. Excellent. Um, final silly question for you about it is we've been on a big kick of talking about Cthulhu stuff lately on the show. Has there by chance been any giant ass Cthulhu squids in the ocean so far that have you've eaten their flesh and you have become <laughs> uh, brainwashed by them and is that an element of this game in any way? Oh, I'm glad I'm so glad you said that because you reminded me of something I forgot to bring up. Answer, yes. There is this is an alien planet. You are not on Earth. You can look forward to some weird, freaky shit Ooh. down below. Like, like almost too much freaky shit. Like, there's... <laughs> it gets freakier as they get further down, and I'm like, oh, my God, how much more of this can I handle? I don't even know. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> there is some crazy shit. So, yes, it is not a Cthulhu game. It is not a Lovecraft game, but you will get a flavor of that at some point. I'm not going to spoil anything else. But I'm really glad you mentioned that because these developers, like we were just talking about with the toggles, do a brilliant thing. Because when you start this game... You have three choices. And I love that they give you these three choices. They just give them to you right off the bat. Number one, play the vanilla game. You will get hungry. You will get thirsty. Uh, you will get cold and hot. You will have to make things. You will have to survive. That is the survival mode. And I'm like, okay, that sounds fine. But then there is freedom mode, which is what they're, they're like, okay, look, we know you got a job and shit. You don't have to worry about food and water. So we're going to take that away. Don't worry about eating and drinking, but you still got to make stuff. You still got to survive. And I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty good. Like, cause I got to be honest with you, dude, whenever a game puts in eating and drinking meters, it's usually ridiculously short. Like I can eat a sandwich in real life and I'm not hungry for like five, six hours. You know, like I'm good. I can go a pretty long time without eating another sandwich. If I got a little bottle of water, take a sip, I'm good for like a while. But when you play a game, it seems like you got to be eating like a three course dinner every five fucking minutes and it's fucking annoying. And I don't know if Subnautica's <laughs> meters go that fast. I never tried them, but in general, I feel like game developers skew them to be way too fast and it's annoying. It's just annoying. So I turned off the food and water, but I left everything else on. And I think that for me is a perfect fit because I'm crafting vehicles and tools and I'm making things. And that's really fun and exciting. And I'm seeing, I'm getting the good part of this game but I'm not bogged down with trying to struggle with my next meal or fresh water. So I think that might be a little bit too much busy work for me. I'm glad that I chose the freedom mode, which I think is a good balance. There's also creative mode right off the bat where you can have access to infinite resources. You get all the blueprints unlocked. You can go anywhere in the world. You never die. You don't take any damage. And so for my son, that is a perfect option. He loves this game as well. It's currently his favorite game. He's playing it literally right now. And he 
made all the stuff and he's swimming through the water and he's having a great old time and he's seeing all the weird things at the bottom of the sea and he's just enjoying the shit out of it. So I love when developers give you those options. I'm glad that they put these options in here. I'm glad they did not force you to conform to whatever they thought was the proper way to play this game because I think the proper way to play a game is the game is the way that it's most fun. And so I found a mode that suits me. He found a mode that suits him. If you want even more hardcore than that, there's a mode for that. So kudos to them for giving you that. And uh, I'm really glad to see that option because, uh, I mean, it might've been fine having to deal with food and water, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't have to worry about it. So I, I like the options there. So anyway, that's there. Feel free to choose whatever option suits you, Corey, and everybody else listening, but definitely check this game out. I will do that. And then I will report back on my VR findings if I don't end up scaring myself to death with giant ocean squids or something while playing. That is some scary shit. Scary, scary shit. Anyway, let's yeah. move on. We have one more game to talk about. Would you like to do the uh, preamble, sir? Uh, sure. So we are going to present. I think we alluded to this last week a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about the council, uh, which is out on everything except for Switch, probably. Um, but Brad has talked about this game, God, like a few times now that I think about it. Um, and I finally played it. Uh, we're going to do a spoiler section. So if you have not played the council and you want to play the council, or if you care about getting spoiled on anything about the council, I would maybe not listen to the next part of the show. Um, I will have notes in the show notes about timestamps on when we start the spoiler stuff. So basically, like right now, will be the first timestamp for. Um, the show, I'll add a timestamp at the end when we're totally d- done discussing it. So if you want to come back and listen to us sign off and listen to banter, by all means, you could do that. Um, but Brad and I have played, it's a, it's an episodic game. It's five episodes. We have played all five of them, and we are going to talk about anything and everything related to the council, including our endings. The game has multiple endings, multiple ways the story can kind of go different ways. We're going to talk about how we did it, everything. So this is your final warning. If you don't want to hear any spoiler stuff for the council, I would leave this podcast now and come back later. But if you do want to hear about it or you don't care about this game or you just want to hear our silly stories about how we played it and what decisions we made, stay tuned and we will discuss. All right. I think that's a pretty satisfactory spoiler warning. Um, Good. I'm excited we're talking about this finally. Um, I'm really, really curious and eager to talk about this. Um, Just a quick reminder for people, the council is a five- Part episodic series comes from what Big Bad Wolf or something or something like that. Do you uh, remember? I don't know. I know it's published by Cyanide, right? Because they also yeah. publish Call of Cthulhu. Exactly. Um, it is a telltale like game where you it's a third person game. You walk around small environments, interacting with things uh, and talking to people. But there is also a quasi RPG system on top of that where. Your character has actual skills, which affect how you are able to interact and affect your interactions with people. Uh, Also, there is um, constant saving, so there's no way to ever go back on any of your decisions because as soon as you choose something, the game saves automatically. So there are some real stakes. There is also um, a conversation system where you have weaknesses and strengths of various people. And if you're able to navigate those, then you can uh, win these conversations. It's almost like kind of like a battle where... A person will talk to you about something and whether you win or lose depends on how well you can understand them as a person and read their read their personality and make and, you know, say smart things. Uh, and the basic premise of the game is that you are it's like in the I don't know, this 17th century or something. I forget what time it is. Like the 1800s or something like that. And you're going to 
an island, which is owned by a really wealthy dude, to have this conference. Turns out that this conference is kind of like the Illuminati, like the the supposed organization which controls all the world's events and steers the course of humanity. That's kind of what's going down here. This guy invites everybody uh, from that time who's important, like George Washington, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, a couple other people uh, that are like real historical characters, people from Spain, people from the Vatican, to come and talk about the world and decide what they're going to do. Um, and when you get there, people start dying. And so it's up to you to kind of figure out what's going on and unravel the ultimate mystery. And that's the basic premise of uh, the council. Did I leave anything out, Corey? Um, I would say that the only kind of, I mean, that's totally the basic premise. The big thing that you're perhaps leaving out or maybe waiting to say later is um, there basically the point, uh, part of the point of you going to the island is that the character that you play, his name is Louis de Richet. Um, he, he is kind of working with his mother. Uh, they do like some like detective work and they kind of work together for the council. Whenever he goes to the island, she has gone missing. So like a big part of the game is kind of you trying to find out where she is because you're led to believe that she's still on the island and she's kind of hiding from the members of the council or maybe she's trying to get away from them or something. Like it's really unclear about why she's missing, but you know that she's on the island somewhere you're trying to figure out where she is, how well everybody in the council knows her and like when their last contact with her was. And it's also weird because like no one seems particularly bothered by the fact that she's missing. They're all just kind of like, oh yeah, she's missing, but she'll come around. Like we'll kind of casually help you find her. But that's sort of like the immediate main objective of Louis is to find his mom on the island and figure out any information he can about her. You're 100% correct. Thank you for that. It has been so long since I played episode one. I kind of forgot that's how the game started out. So you I feel are like the game also kind of forgets. That's how it starts. I mean, out a too. little bit, a little bit. I mean, I think there's kind of some logic to it, but you were 100% correct. Like it, it, that is how you start. You're there looking for your mom before, before people start dying. So yes, thank you for that clarification. So we have both played it. We both finished it. Um, I played the game episodically as they were released. So the first episode came out, I don't know, like at the beginning of the year, I think. And so over the course of 12 months, those five episodes came out. And I, I think there's about like two months between each episode, something like that, give or take. So I played them, you know, episode one in January, February, whatever it was, then waited two months and played episode two, then waited two months, played episode three. Now, Corey, that was not true for you because you waited until the end of the year. All five episodes were out and you basically played them all in a row, right? Yeah, because I bought it on a PSN sale. I got the game super cheap. I think it was like 8 or $10. And I, when I bought it, four episodes were out. And then the fifth episode came out like a few weeks later. And I played the entire game over the course of about three days, I think. Okay, okay. So definitely a big difference in how we played the game, which I think is probably going to be a factor in something we should probably talk about. But... Um, I think let's just start with generalities first. Uh, I really like this game a lot because I'm kind of a fan of the Telltale style of game, but I think that Telltale themselves ran out of juice a while ago. Uh, but I think that regardless of its flaws, I think that uh, the people who make the council were really trying to kick things up to the next level. And I think that in general, they really succeeded because I think the systems they added, like the RPG systems of um, developing Louis in many different ways had a lot of interesting effects on conversations and the way things turned out. So for example, he can be someone who is more of a scientist 
or he can be someone who is more of like an occult expert. He can be someone who is more of a politician. He can be someone who is more of a physical kind of person. And, and that will either open or close off different options with other people. So sometimes you'll get into a conversation and the person you're talking to is like a real political person. If you are not very political, you don't have much to say to them. And so it kind of makes you seem like you're dumb. And so like you can't often win a conversation with them because you're not able to match them on their own level. Or sometimes, uh, for example, uh, somebody can be really emotional. If you have a lot of points put into like psychology, you can read them really well. And so you're like, oh, I can see you're distressed. And I bet it's probably X, Y, Z reason. And so if you're good that way, you can um, win those conversations because you have a lot of knowledge about someone's emotional state. So I thought that that was a really good system. I really liked that a lot. And I think overall, um, giving stakes to this this game was a good idea. Like I mentioned earlier, it saves constantly. So whenever you say something to somebody, the game will immediately save. So you can't go back. And it really makes you think carefully about what you're going to say or what you're going to do. And there are ways to um, assist with that. There are certain ways you can get a little hint about what's the right thing. But in general, I thought that particular aspect of the game was really well done. What did you, what did you think about that, Corey? Um, I agree for the most part. I, I, I mean, the, the conversation system is pretty, um, I mean, pretty, uh, kind of scary actually, because like there are a lot of times where you're having a discussion with somebody and like whenever, like, um, it's important to note that whenever you use different skills, cause say you're like having that, like a conversation, like battle with somebody or, you know, like a debate or something. Um, if you have enough points put into a certain skill, like psychology, for example, like you're talking about, whenever you get the dialogue choice to open up, you know, and you have say like four different things you can say, if you have enough points in the response that calls for psychology, you can use it. But whenever you use it, there's like a meter on the bottom left of the screen and you only have a certain amount, like depending on how high, how high your level is, say if you're psychology level one and you say you use your psychology points on that person to say something, um, it'll take say like five points off of your seven points that you have for your skills. But if you have it level two, it might only take off three points or level four, it might take off no points. So you have to be very cognizant of like, knowing that you're using your skills and you only have a certain amount, but you do have usable items. Like you have um, honey that you can eat that'll give you more points back. You have um, a, some kind of like herb you take or something that lets, no matter what you choose, it, it takes no points off. So it's like a free pass. Um, there's one that if you, like if you use honey too many times, then you get like exhausted or something and it like permanently takes one point off. And there's like another potion or another thing you can eat that like, takes off any of that like if you have any negative reactions to things like if you get too exhausted or something it'll like make those go away so there's like a lot of different things you can use um, but what I like in general about the conversation system in this game is that like you said when people have uh, people have strengths and weaknesses so say like uh, like his mom for example I don't this is not going to be accurate but say she she is immune to psychology let's just say that I don't know if she actually is but like everybody has an immunity and everybody has a weakness so if she's immune to psychology, even if you have psychology leveled up and you try to use it on her, you will fail because she knows so much about psychology that you can't win. But what I like about this is that you don't discover people's immunities and weaknesses until you test them. So even if, say, you didn't know that the mom's weakness was immunity or her uh, uh, her immunity was uh, psychology, I mean, um, if you 
use psychology on her not knowing that the game will then tell you she is immune to psychology and then like in your little notebook like in the options menu you can go and like look at everybody's listed immunities and their weaknesses so like even if you mess up you still learn something about that person which i think is really fascinating because there's so often in games where it's either you're right or you're wrong and that's it but in this one like even if you're wrong you still learn something and like and then if you proceed to use psychology in the future and you mess up then you only have yourself to blame because you just like weren't checking your notes or you didn't remember that she was immune to psychology but i like that it kind of reminds me of um i didn't play a lot of this game but it kind of reminds me of alpha protocol because like in alpha protocol every npc that you talk to has their has their own way that they like to be talked to and you have to remember like oh does this person respect when i'm aggressive with them because like normally i wouldn't be like an aggressive negotiator but like if i know this person respects that and they'll respond then i'll like really be direct and really push and so it lets you everybody has a certain way that they like to be talked to and everybody has weaknesses on specific weaknesses about ways you can like get information out of them but you just have to remember them and you have to exploit them and even if you fail you'll often learn that you shouldn't do that in the future and then you just have to refer back to your notes to know to remember who all is immune and weak to what and as you're having conversations with them yeah, I agree. And that was one thing that I really that was both really challenging and also that I respected about this game, because you're exactly right. Like when you start the game, you don't really know anything about anybody, which is fine, because in the game you are actually arriving to this island and you literally don't know anybody. So that makes <laughs> sense. But as you're talking to people, you kind of feel them out just like you would in real life. Like if you were meeting a person in real life and you didn't know anything about them, you'd be like, hey, how about the Mariners to see if they were like a sports fan and you don't know, right? Like you're not going to launch into like this giant discussion. You feel, I mean, if you're a, a smart person and you're not crude and uh, terrible conversations, you will you will feel somebody out before you launch into something. You know, like, I mean, you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, yeah, it's too bad about Trump, huh? And then you see what their response is and then you know what kind of person you're dealing with or whatever. So you kind of do the same thing here. Like you kind of feel people out and the game gives you many many instances to kind of uh, test a person before they actually get to something with consequences in it, which I think is good. Um, sometimes you'll get something sprung on you and that does occur. But if you're talking to people as much as possible, you'll have a few instances where you're like, Oh, you look like you're weak to psychology. Let me try something on you. And then they're like, ah, I can't believe you said that. And you're like, okay, boom, back off. That doesn't work with them. And you learn that. And it's nice. The UI is, is good. And it puts that on the screen after you discover that. So that's really good. There's a potion you can take that will reveal someone's weaknesses if you're having a real hard, tough time struggling with somebody. I think that's good. Um, and I think also a thing that I really respected was like these, most of the people in this game are actually real historical figures. And if you know about them historically, it gives you a huge advantage. So for example, I did not know most of the history. I'm not a history buff. I don't enjoy that aspect uh, in real life. But Dan Weisenberger, who reviewed this game for us at Game Critics, is a history buff. And he was intimately familiar with all of these characters before he played the game. So he had this huge advantage because he knew about Napoleon's background and he knew which way Napoleon leaned politically. And he knew about, you know, all these other figures. I mean, he knew about the British figures and he's like, oh yeah, this and this. And I'm like, I had no idea. So for me, my Louis was like this dunce who showed up at the island and didn't know jack shit about anything. And Dan's Louis was like, oh, yeah, I know all about you guys. And I have this edge when I get here because I've read up on history and I know. So I thought it was really cool they were able to integrate that as much as possible. And if you study your history, you know about these figures, 
you will have a very good sense of which way they go. And that will definitely help you in the conversations because like, you know, keeping to the example of Napoleon, I was not sure. Is he a man of the people or was he someone who supported the monarchy? I had no fucking clue. Uh, I just didn't know. I knew he was short. I knew he stuck his hand in his vest and he had weird hair. And <laughs> he does that's have a- weird hair. He does have weird hair and he's French. That's all I know. Like I'm not a history buff, right? I know a lot of things about a lot of things, but not about Napoleon, but Dan. uh, So I fucked it up with Napoleon, like pretty hardcore. (laughs) Dan, Dan sailed through. He had Napoleon wrapped around his finger because he knew all about Napoleon. Yeah, of course he did. Right. So that was a really, another interesting, really interesting, really thing where you could figure these people out. And if you remembered which way they go and, and how the, how their politics are and what kind of personality they have, it really helps significantly significantly helps when you're having these conversations, which I thought was great. It's not just about renegade or paragon. It's not about right or wrong. It's not red or blue. Like it's about who is this person? What do they value? What they like in other people? What do they not like? And I thought that was a level of detail that we don't often get in games of this kind. Yeah. I would classify this as smart to sum it up in a way. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So another thing that I thought was kind of neat also kind of not neat. And I know that you probably didn't like this too much was, oh was <laughs> uh, the, the conversation. This game actually kind of parallel real life a little bit in that. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but in real life, I can think of many conversations where I'm talking to somebody that I don't know very well. Things are going okay. And then I say one thing and then all of a sudden like this chill comes down in the air. <laughs> like I've said the wrong thing, or maybe I misread that person and I'm like, whoops, Footed mouth. Uh, I really got to get a drink. I'll be back. Catch it later. Bye. So that happens a lot in this game. And I, I, I think you probably didn't care for this too much, Corey. Let me know what you think. But you can have a conversation with somebody and you can get like, for example, say there's like four questions. You can get the first three right. But if you fuck up the last one, like just totally misread the person, then you fail the whole thing. Uh, and I think that while it is scary and has consequences also kind of mirrors the way that conversations go in real life. Also, what did you, what did you think about that part? Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Like it's, it's very similar to like real life. What I, what I just didn't like is that like, you know, you can talk to people and the game just fine and you, and it's not like a, like not everything in this game is a negotiation, but there are certain parts where the game, it's literally like a conversation battle. I can't remember what they, what they used to name it, but it's like, you're talking to somebody and then it like zooms in and you're like in this interrogation and it even has like a UI at the top of the screen that has like every step of the conversation. There's like, you can either win it or you can fail it. And usually it's like, they'll ask a question or they'll say something and then you have to decide what you want to say back. And what I, what I don't like, cause there was one point in particular, I can't remember uh, to whom I was talking, but it was like, I had aced like four of them. And then the last one, I said the wrong thing And I failed the whole thing. And, like, I know that that's, you know, kind of how life works, I guess. But it was just annoying because, like, if you can ace three and then fail the last one and it makes you fail the whole thing, then, like, what's the point of having the first three there in the first place? Like, that really annoyed me because, like, I ended up failing the entire thing just because I missed one question or, like, I said the wrong thing one time. So I was like, well, why? What's the point of having this entire conversation if I'm going to fail it from, like, messing up one thing? And I just got really annoyed about it. That, I mean, I totally hear you, but at the same time, this makes me think of just like, I mean, I mean, sex in a way where it's like, you know, you can start off in a certain way and things are going real good and you think it's all on track and then you make a wrong move or you say a wrong thing. And then it's like, 
yeah, I'm going to go get a snack or something and I'm just going to go watch TV. And then, you know, not that that's necessarily happened to me. I don't know anything about that personally, but I can imagine it happening. But I'm sure, you know, like, like just those corners that you turn where it's like, ah, oh, fuck, I said the wrong thing. And that screwed up the entire thing. I mean, I, I get what you're saying and I understand and I've failed some of those myself. So I've, I've felt that pain. But at the same time, I couldn't be too mad about it because I it, it paralleled real life so much to me that I thought I had to give it a pass. <laughs> So that was an interesting system. What did you think about, like, I guess, let's talk about the style for a second, because I think this game is really visually distinct. Um, it's got that, I, okay, so I'm not a, historic, a historical guy, like I just said, and I don't, I couldn't tell you, like, exactly what period this is taken from, but, like, the fancy furnishings and the house and the paintings and everybody's wearing these, like, real fancy old school clothes um, you know, the petticoats or whatever, and the little button up stuff that people are wearing that, you know, you see in period pieces, uh, and just, I mean, so plush, it looks like they're in like this palatial estate from, from back in the day, like you'd see in a museum or something. I mean, I think it's very, very stylish. It does a very effective job of setting kind of the tone of it, like in a visual sense. What did you, what did you feel about that? Yeah, my, so my favorite things about this game, one of them is going to be related to what you just said, and the other two are slightly unrelated. But one of my favorite things about this game is just simply the fashion, because everybody in this game is dressed in such a cool way. Like, it's so, it seems so um, specific and accurate to the period. But, like, I can't remember. There's one guy, there's so, for, there's so many characters in this game. There's too many characters in this game, and that's something I want to talk about later. But there's one guy who wears this amazing, like, almost like a hot magenta like tie thing with this like like ruby amulet in the middle of it and he's got this like amazing overcoat and he has like fucking like knee-high black boots and he looks so fucking cool and like everybody in the game just looks like really well dressed and really cool and really like high society and my other favorite thing favorite things are um the main character louis de richet i don't know who his voice actor is i haven't looked him up but his voice acting is like I have, like, a bad thing to say that's charming and a good thing to say. The bad thing to say that's charming is that his voice acting is, like, kind of, like, mediocre. But it kind of makes me think that, like, if I were voice acting in a game personally, I feel like my voice performance would be very similar to his. Because it's kind of, like, just, like, dry and sometimes, like, not very emotive. But But it's also charming in a way. And the thing that I love about his voice acting is... Whenever he, whenever the game calls for him to say something in an accent, he motherfucking nails the accent every single time. Like he'll, you like walk up to like Napoleon Bonaparte's room, and there's like a card on the outside of the door, and it said it has his name on. And even if you just like press like X to read the card, he'll be like, "Oh, this room belongs to Napoleon Bonaparte," and he'll like say it in French, <laughs> and, I, and like every single time, like no matter what accent it is, he like says it correctly. And I was like. It's such a stupid thing to be floored by, but I would have been like, oh yeah, this room belongs to Napoleon, to Napoleon Bonaparte. But he like says everybody's names in the accent and like whenever he's reading like like a caption on a giant like portrait, uh, like painting or something, if it's like the name of the painting is in like Spanish or something or it's like translated from Spanish to English, he'll like say it in that accent. And I don't know why that's so incredible to me, but his like his like accent voice work is impeccable considering his voice acting is just like okay throughout the game like he sounds kind of bored a little bit while he's talking but his accent work is impeccable and i just thought i every time he like said something in an accent i was like wow this guy like really knows his shit like he's really good at accents but 
those are like my the the weird highlights for me of the game is the fashion and the main character's voice acting and his accent work. I love the fashion too. I mean, I think I think every room in this game looks incredible. Uh, just the furnishings and how lush everything is and how. You know, like, it looks like you're just in the palace. But, like, I mean, the, the clothes, too. I would love some of these outfits, dude. Like, I'm not really, like, a dress-up kind of guy. But there's a couple of these outfits where I'm like, oh, that would be so baller if I showed up someplace and wore that shit. <laughs> like, I mean, it would be pretty fucking amazing. And in terms of Louis, I mean, I think in general people do a pretty good job with the voice acting in this. And in the first episode, I was like, oh, he does kind of sound bored or, you know, like, like he's not really getting there. But I think that was just kind of his personality. And by the end of the game, I ended up really liking him a lot, like as a character and his voice acting actually won me over. Like I really enjoyed spending time with him uh, as the game went on. So he really grew on me after a while. I, I, I think I definitely am a big fan of, of Louis at this point. So um, good job on that. I think good job on that. I got to ask you though, it's not just about conversation in this game. There are also puzzles. And I have said multiple times on the show, I was not smart enough to do the puzzles. I gave you, the advice that if you get stuck once or twice, just look them up because I think they're really tough and you shouldn't get bogged down in the puzzles. How did the puzzle go for you, by the way? I looked up so many puzzles on okay. the internet when I was playing this game. <laughs> I mean, when I started, the, the cool thing most of the time that I actually like about this game is that a lot of the puzzles can be solved in multiple different ways. Like, it's weird because we talked about Call of Cthulhu last week, and this game actually is, I mean, I know it's like published by the same people. It has a lot of similarities to Call of Cthulhu, so it's kind of weird, like, playing these one after another because they feel in the same like, family in a way, and something that I liked about the council is most things can be solved in several ways, and it usually depends on what you put your points into. Like, if you have, if you need to get into a room and it's locked, like, there's literally a skill you can unlock that lets you lockpick. And so, like, maybe you can just, if you have that skill, you can lockpick your way into it. Or if you, if there's, like, a code on the door and you can, like, read, you can, like, look at a painting because it has a clue about the code on the door. If you have your, like, I don't know, whatever, one of your skills that talks about, like, worldly arts and stuff, like, if you have that leveled up enough, like, when he looks at the painting, you can click, like, one step further and use a skill and he'll like say something that'll kind of like confirm maybe a clue about the code or something like that. So there's like a lot of different ways you can solve things. But with that being said, I, I got to a point in this game where I just didn't have the patience for it or I didn't have the right skill and I wasn't going to like dick around for an hour to try to find out what, what, how to solve whatever puzzle was going on. So I would just get on the internet and start looking up solutions because I think the game has too many puzzles. And I think that one of my criticisms toward the end, and we'll probably get to this later, is that generally, like, as I was getting to the, toward the end game, I felt like they were trying to pad it with too many puzzles. Like, I just wanted to, like, you know, get in there and do it and finish the game and get where I was going. But I would get to some, like, room and it would they would spring this puzzle on me. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm just trying to get to the end of the game. And I feel like it does that a few, a few too many times over the course where I just want to get where the game's going. I want to see what's going on. But it's like hey, do this really, like, dumb, arbitrary puzzle before you can go forward. And so I would immediately just get on good old Google on my phone and look up the walkthrough, and I would just solve it that way because I did not have the patience for it. I I had... It's such a weird thing. I didn't think there was too many puzzles, for me personally, but I felt like they were so hot and cold. Like there were some that were so easy. I was like, Oh my God, this is not even a puzzle. Why am I even doing this? 
And then there were some that were like, holy shit, I don't even understand what I'm supposed to even do. What is even going on? I don't even, I can't, my brain, my pathetic human brain can't even conceive of what is going on here. Like some of the puzzles I found to be phenomenally difficult. And I admit that maybe other people found them easy. That's fine. I don't think Dan had a problem with anything because Dan is Dan. Uh, but for me, I was like, I think probably three quarters of them were too hard for me. And I feel bad <laughs> saying that. And one quarter of them were so simple. It was like, why is this even a puzzle? So I know it's probably hard to gauge those for people. And, you know, and finding the medium for your entire audience is probably impossible. But the hard ones I thought were super hard. Um, and there definitely were different ways to solve them. And I think that also touches on another part of this game that I think is really well done is like it branches out in a fucking crazy way. Like... <laughs> not only can you solve puzzles in a different way and get through those. Um, and I definitely recommend people look them up if you get stuck, because some of them are really hard, but the choices you make are way more significant and way more diverse than you would expect. I mean, not only is it about whether you win or lose a conversation, but people can die like multiple people can die at different times. And that really fucking skews your whole storyline. Because when I was comparing notes with Dan, who again, did the review for game critics, um, his playthrough and my playthrough were like wildly different. Um, I mean, for example, at one point, you do find your mom, and she can be either dead or she can be alive. Or you I mean, I think she's alive when you find her, but she can die immediately afterwards, or she can live, or she can die like later on. Uh, there's a couple more characters that I can think of probably two or three characters that can die. And if they die, it totally throws off like the whole rest of the game, or it just, you know, changes the way things go. At one point, um, there's one extremely difficult puzzle. Not only is it difficult to figure out in terms of what the answer is, but I thought it was difficult to even figure out how to even do it. Uh, do you know the puzzle where you're about to get into the crypt and it's like a big circle and there's like dials and you had to put items on a table to activate the puzzle and then you had to put your hand inside of it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you get your hand cut off? No, because I looked up a guide online. I wasn't about to get my hand cut off. Jesus. No. <laughs> so I tried to do that one legit. There's, It's a really complicated puzzle. I'm not going to explain the whole thing. But you have the, the end point of this puzzle is there's like three or four challenges beforehand that you have to do. When you get to the final part, there's a hole. You got to put your hand in and then you have to make a choice. And if you make the right choice, it opens the door. If you make a wrong choice, it cuts off your hand. And you can actually Louie can actually get his hand fucking cut off right there. <laughs> Luckily, when I got there, I miss. So I misunderstood what I was supposed to do. Like I, I figured some of it out. I went to go try it, but I did not understand what the lever did. There's a, there's a lever inside the hole where you put your hand. I thought you were supposed to turn it as part of the puzzle, but it's supposed to actually be the last thing you do. Whatever. I'm getting lost in the weeds here, but bottom line <laughs> being, I just, I just misunderstood what I was supposed to do. And so when I pulled the switch, it was like, uh Oh, this isn't good. Would you like to pull your hand out? Cost 10 points, which is basically my entire skill, my entire skill bar. So I was like, uh, yes, I would like to pull my hand out. And so I pulled my hand out and I did not get my hand cut off, but it wiped out all my skills. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I hope I don't have any challenges coming up because I got no points left. <laughs> um, but people can get their hand cut off in that. And that totally changes how people react to you. You come back to people like, Louie, what happened to your hand? Your fucking hand is gone. What happened? Can't explain that away very easily, right? So multiple different ways to go i know that there are at least four different endings there may be more than that but there's at least four uh and they are wildly different so if you want a game that actually uh where your choices actually matter like this is one where they actually matter like literally every choice has a big impact on the rest of the game which i have to respect 
Yeah, I uh, did not get my hand cut off because I was looking at a guide online. But um, <clears throat> So one thing that I think maybe, I don't know if either of us have made this clear about the game, but something that I think is worth mentioning too is the entire, I mean, more or less, the entire game takes place in one house. So you like get to the island, you're in this like giant manor, and I think there's like, I don't know, like four floors or something. There's like the main floor that you walk in on, and it has like, you know, the entry hall. They have the salons, which I love that they call them salons. It's basically like a room where you eat, like a, I don't know, a dining room. But they have like, there's like the red salon and the small salon. And I every time they say salon, it just made me really happy in the game. And um, so there's like eating rooms and like uh, like observational rooms and stuff. There's like this amazing library that's like this giant like oh the library is never dope. ending. It is I so love cool. the library. So cool. Um, it, it's it really kind of like the layout of the mansion reminds me a little bit of like Resident Evil in a way where it's like you have these really elaborately designed rooms and you like go through them over and over and over and over and over again. And the game doesn't necessarily like draw attention to the fact that they're elaborately designed, but they just like are that way i mean i was picking up like you know old school like resident evil one vibes from this a little bit in a weird way but and then there's like the second floor which has all the guests it's basically just the guest rooms like it's a giant like rectangular hall everybody has their own room they're staying in um there's like the guy who owns the mansion mortimer i think his name is he like has a floor above and his like office is up there there's like a courtyard with this like uh hedge maze kind of thing with these statues in the courtyard um, so most of the game is pretty, I mean, the, the manor is big, but it's contained into basically one house. It's not like open world. You're not out, you know, bopping about the city, you know, going to the shops and stuff. You're just in this house most of the time. And at the beginning of the game, I was fascinated by it because there's an element of, of discovery and exploration about the house because it's the kind of house where you know that not everything is what it seems. Like eventually you discover like, trap rooms and hidden passages and you know like puzzles in rooms that open these bookcase doors and all this kind of shit and so like as you progress you you discover more about the mansion and more about you know it kind of becomes a character in and of itself in the game but what i don't like is that as that sense of exploration goes away the longer or at least for me it did the longer i played the game because at a certain point you get in the game where it's like maybe like episode three or so in the middle where to me, it kind of felt like the game just started turning into this, like, fetch quest of, like, oh, talk to this person, and then you, like, run. And I, no matter how, much like Resident Evil, no matter how long I spent with this game, I could not remember how to get anywhere in the fucking manner because it's so confusing. So, like, I would, I would have to, like, go look at my map, like, all the time in the menu because I didn't know where anything was no matter how much time I spent with it. So I would, like, talk to somebody, and it would be like, oh, maybe you should talk to Napoleon about this. And then I would try to—I would go to Napoleon's room, but he, like, wouldn't be in his room. And so you have to, like, explore the whole mansion because, like, you can't find him. And it happens a lot where the, it'll people will send you on, like, little— like, oh, you should talk to this person, you should talk to that person, but then you don't know where they are, so you end up just, like, running around the mansion, and it made me really irritated, because, like, I, the sense of exploration was gone, and it just felt like I was doing this sort of, like, never-ending series of just, like, oh, go to person A and talk to them, and then they would be like, oh, we need to talk to this person, and so I would just end up, like, running around the manor a bunch of times trying to find these people and talk to them instead of just, like, getting to the heart of whatever I was trying to do in the first place, and, like, I don't know, like, the, I, I really liked the first half of this game, like, the first, like, two and a half episodes or so, and then, like, once I got more and more into it, I really came off this game really cold. I didn't like it at the end by the time I finished it, because it got really old to me, there were too many puzzles, there was too much going on, there's too many characters for the game's 
good. Like, there's too much going on, and I just felt like the sense of exploration and mystery and sort of, like, basis and realism kind of escaped the longer I played the game. Because much like Call of Cthulhu, about halfway through this game, it gets, like, real supernatural, and I wasn't expecting that. And again, like, we don't have to spoil it this second. We could talk about it uh, in a minute. But, like, it, it gets weird, and it gets, like not based in reality at all and kind of like once that stuff started happening i just kind of stopped caring about what was going on in the game because it got a little too bananas for me it got a little the story got a little too supernatural and too like off the wall and it felt like that you know the writers of the game had a really good idea of what they wanted to do and then like the longer they wrote the game the more they were like just kind of like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck and rolling with it and so i came out of the game not nearly as jazz as i did going in um but what, how was your progression through the game, or what do you, what's your response to any of that? All right, cool. Before we go forward, I got to do a quick time check. We've got about 20 minutes. Time has kind of gotten away from us here. Um, <laughs> so we'll just, quick time check of 20 minutes. Um, I agree with you about the, the map and the house. It was a big house. It's kind of hard to get around it sometimes. I wish that they would have just put dots of where people are in the map so you could go straight to them, because looking for people is kind of a drag. I just, I don't like that about it in any game. So 100% agreed about that, for sure. Uh, now, about this story, we should probably get to the meat of this discussion. Uh, it starts out as being kind of an Illuminati political story, and like you just alluded to, it takes a big left turn in, like, episode <laughs> four, I think it is. Um, and so what happens is, and like we said, folks, we're just going to spoil the shit out of this. I mean, if you're listening by this point, you, you know we're going to spoil this. <laughs> what happens is it is revealed that the people who are organizing this conference are actually, well, I mean, they call themselves demons. I don't think they're actually supernatural. I think they're kind of like some kind of weird, some other kind of weird creature that's like a spirit kind of a creature that that possesses other people. And so these, these creatures have been around since biblical times. Uh, they make reference to the fact that the, the original demon or whatever creature was basically like Jesus at one point. And so your father is like literally God and you guys are like this secret race of, um, I don't know, spirit things that kind of control the, the course of humanity by, by living forever and by possessing people. You can like get inside other people's bodies. You can control them. You can pretend to be them. And, uh, they're just kind of like spiritual things that, can take over someone's um, body forever. So that was not expected. Very not expected. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think that I was really a fan of it. Um, but uh, so just to back things up a little bit, uh, there was a book written by Dan Simmons um, many years ago called Carrion Comfort. Are you familiar with Dan Simmons or have you heard of that book? I have not. Dan Simmons is one of the best uh, writers in the world. He's a really wonderful writer, very talented. I've loved a lot of his books. And Carrie and Comfort was a horror novel, which was basically this game. Uh, in Carrie and Comfort, <laughs> in Carrie and Comfort, there was a race of like these spirit creatures that basically live forever. They could take over other people's bodies, and they helped, or they they fought with each other, they feuded with each other, and they could take over the bodies of other people, and they kind of fucked each other over by controlling humans and making them do crazy things or whatever. Uh, and so that is literally this game. That's where this game went. It was directly from carrying comfort. And it's, uh, there's even a nod when you finish the game or at least with the ending that I got the, the achievement that popped was called carrying comfort. So, I mean, clearly these guys are fans of that book because this is like, like, like everything about it is lifted directly from that book. So 
I love that book. I thought that book was amazing. I thought it was such a great book. Um, so in one respect, they kind of hit me right in a soft spot because I did like that book. But at the same time, I would have been totally fine if they didn't do that here. And I would have been totally fine <laughs> if it was just intrigue and political fuckery and double dealing. I mean, I think that would have worked too. So I was a little bit kind of like, mm, I don't think you guys needed to go the supernatural route. Although at the same time, I did still have a level of appreciation for it just because I think it's a cool idea and Carrying Comfort was a great book. So they got me, but I totally get how it would not fly with you. And in fact, I mean, and to be perfectly honest, it didn't really fly with me either, but I think they just, they kind of got me in a weak moment. Yeah. I mean, I, cause like it starts off grounded in this cool, like investigation story of you, like getting to this manor with the council and trying to find your mom and everything. And then like, like, you know, 60% of the way through all of a sudden it's like, Oh, by the way, the hosts are demons and we can possess people's bodies. Oh, and by the way, you're a demon too and you can possess people's bodies. Oh, and we're going to teach you how to do it. Oh, and by the way, I'm your dad. And by and it was just like it just like the floodgates opened and it was like all of this like extra stuff that had not been in like the game is already busy enough, but like all this extra stuff just came flooding in. And like I said before, there's too many characters in this game. Like I could have done without like if the cast had been, like, half as big, I feel like it would have been more effective because I couldn't remember... I mean, even if there are, most of them were, like, actual people, like, his, like historical figures, I still couldn't remember, like, who was whom, like, who was supposed to be doing what, who was siding with whom, and, like, it, it turns into this thing where, like, eventually all the people that are there on the council are supposed to be, like, voting for a certain thing, and then, you know, there's, like, a split in the voting, and the two guys that are hosting you know, are kind of battling it out for themselves, and they're trying to, like, deceive each other, and it just, like... There's just, like, too, it's too... It's like Call of Cthulhu, it's too much. It's too much. There's too much stuff going on. And, like, the more I played it, the more, you know, it tried to spring these, like, plot twists on me. And every time I would just roll my eyes and I'd be like, oh, my God, like, can we just get to the end of the game? Like, I'm tired of, like, these plot twists. I'm tired of the guy who's, like, supposed to be the host and supposed to be your dad or whoever just, like, sending you on these, like, fetch quests because he's like, oh, go possess this person. Go convince this person. They need to vote my, vote my way. Go do this. And you, like, lose a lot of agency because you're basically just, like, doing what he tells you to do. And, I mean, I guess, in all honesty, you don't have to do what he tells you to do. But because I decided to basically side with him, I was like, okay, I'll go do the things you want me to do. And so it just, like, turned into this, like, never-ending list of just, like, you going to do what he tells you to do. And I was like, okay, this game is a lot more interesting when I like got here and there was like mystery and intrigue. And I was like talking to people and trying to figure out about them. But like the more I, you know, talked to people, the more I discovered about them, the more I got sent on these like weird spiritual possession fetch quests. I just really stopped liking the game whenever all of that stuff started coming forward. Yeah. I know you don't swing that way in general. So that makes perfect sense. And I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you either. Um, and I do think that they did try to get too much in, especially that late in the game. Um, I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, it made sense once I sat and thought about it and, and connected the dots, but it was a lot to take in and it was a lot to keep straight. Um, it did come together, but, uh, but, but all things considered, and if I, you know, had had my druthers, I think I probably would have had them dial it back a little bit and maybe just make it a little, a little more streamlined. Um, but we should probably talk about the end game before we run out of time here. So basically, like you said, there's uh, two different guys running this conference. They're competing sides. You're there. Eventually, they each want you to take a side. Uh, you said that you supported uh, your dad. Is that correct? Yeah, because like Mortimer, 
I can't remember the other guy's name, but like Mortimer is the guy who's like in command of the household. And then he has a partner who wears like ridiculous, like white makeup with blush. that's like cracking on his face, which I thought was incredible. Um, and they're hosting it. Yeah. But I ended up siding with the, with Mortimer, who's like supposed to be your dad. Who's kind of like in control of the whole thing. Okay. So that's what I did as well. Um, and like I said, there's multiple ways to go. So what I did was I, figured out that Mortimer, your dad, who eventually is revealed to be your dad, is probably not the greatest guy, but his stated goals of kind of bringing <laughs> democracy to the world. I'm like, well, I'm down with that. And like the other guy doesn't seem like an angel either. And he wants to keep like what is effectively a monarchy. And I'm like, well, I'm not down with that. And I mean, nobody seems really that great. So I guess I should pick a side. So my mom, once when you find your mom, she seems like she's completely batshit. And I didn't want to like help her out too much. So I... Went with him all the way down. Like, I was just like, at, at a certain point, I think like an episode four, I'm like, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to side with my dad all the way through. And we're just going to ride that to the end. And ultimately, that ends up being like a bad ending. I mean, I don't know about you, but what happened was when we got to the end of the game, we triumph, we beat everybody else. And then he turns to you and he's like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of you. You're the greatest son ever. Now I'm going to take over your body because you're young and strong and handsome. And plus, you're skilled and competent. And now I'm going to be you. Thanks, lols. Uh, good to know you, son. And now you're dead, and I, I possess you forever and ever. That's how my game ended. How did your game end? Well, that was originally how my game ended. But much like Call of Cthulhu, you it it keeps your save from like five minutes before the game ends. So that's how my game ended the first time because I wasn't sure like what to do. But the second, I went back and did it the second time. And if you find that there's like a spear you can find in the middle of the game and I had it on me and I was like trying to be like respectful of him. And he was like, oh, well, you can give the spear to me now because you don't need it anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, ho, ho, I trust you. Like the idiot I am and I gave it to him. But the second time I went back, you can actually pull the spear on him and kill him. And then like you take over the head of the household. So I kind of like got the good and the bad ending in that respect because I got to see both of them. And apparently like if you kill him, you basically just like leave the island with everybody else and leave. So like, even though you kind of win, like the game doesn't really, they don't like crown you the head of the manor. You just like leave, I guess. So I don't know. It was not uh, particularly fulfilling um, either way. So that, uh, so that was another way you could go. I had this, so I decided to not replay because I was like, I could replay, but I'm like, whatever, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take what I get and that's fine. So I got like basically like the worst possible ending, which was okay. But if you go back and read about it, you can do like you do. You can kill him with a spear. But then also, um, you can meet the ultimate father of the family. Did you ever meet the father? Like the, no. the head the head spirit guy? I did not. You can meet him, and he's a pretty fucking intense dude. Uh, so he is, like, all-powerful, basically. And you can, you, you can team up with him at the very end. And so when you meet your dad, he'll show up and, like, take care of things. And he will kill Mortimer and then put you in charge. You can also um, find uh, so there's there's twin sisters we didn't really talk about. I don't want to get too deep into this because I know it's oh confusing. My God, but the fucking twin sister, the thing twin was so sisters, stupid. the twin sisters <laughs> thing. But there was an aspect to that where you can find the sister that was dead. You can bring her back to life, and then you can team up with the twin sisters as as a group, and you can all fight Mortimer that way. Oh dang! Um, so there's multiple different ways you could go. Um, uh, so you can eventually kill Mortimer all the way and just leave, or you can become the Lord of the Manor. You can become a soulless husk and he can take you over. I mean, there's multiple ways it can go depending on what you do. And you really had to really pay attention because it was easy to miss some of those things or to not clue into what was going on. 
Um, I met the head spirit and I thought that was really interesting. Um, I did not figure out that the twin could be revived, but that was pretty cool too. So again, it just kind of goes back to the multiple branching paths. And I think they did a really good job uh, in that there was so many different ways it could go, but you didn't really know that until you started researching. But then once I really did, I was very impressed by how many paths I didn't take. That must have not been an easy feat. Yeah, and I mean, along those lines of sort of like really having to know what you're doing, there's a lot of parts in this game where you like read something and the game like doesn't really tell you what to do. Like there's no like waypoints or anything. So like there's certain parts where like I was talking to like Elizabeth Adams at one point and I had like read a document in her room about like a letter from like her dad to her mom or something, or her dad being John Adams, of course. And, um, and I like read a note and he like said something, but the game didn't like clue you in on what was in it. You just have to like read it and take it in. And then later when I'm talking to her, like I had the option to say something about the content of the letter that was supposed to like reassure her of something. And because I totally didn't like actually read the letter, I read like, I skimmed like half of it and then closed it. Cause I'm not going to sit here and read documents like some lame ass in a video game. Um, I, uh, I, I, like, said the wrong thing, and I, like, pissed her off even more because I, like, didn't read the letter thoroughly and didn't really take it in. So there's, like, stuff like that in the game where you, like, really have to pay attention to what you're reading and what's going on, and I was just too impatient for that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I hate to cut it short, but I actually do need to wrap up um, for real-life reasons. Let's just um, bring it to a close real quickly, and I apologize, folks, for the abruptness of this. I Time got to kind of got away from us and I wasn't watching the clock as, as closely as I should have. Um, so overall, let's put a pause on this. I feel like we're going to talk about this probably one more time. Um, briefly. Uh, so overall, Corey, you ended up not liking it. And I think probably, ah, we, ah, wish we had more time to talk about this. I, I apologize <laughs> because I think that there's a big difference between me playing it with each episode, two months being, uh, two months apart and you playing it all at once. I, I have to feel like that was a factor because, I didn't ever burn out the way that it seemed like you were burning out because you did it all in three days and I did it like over the course of a year. So I, I got to feel like that was a factor. Um, unfortunately we can't get into that right now. And I do apologize again, folks, but, um, let's wrap this up. We'll pick it up one more time. And, uh, yeah, there we go. I, I liked it. Corey, you didn't like it, right? I did not like this game. Unfortunately, it sounds like I did, but the more I played it, the more I, it got old to me and I was over it. Okay, let's put a bow on it for now. We will come back to this, folks, I, I promise you. Um, but right now, real life has to take precedence. So let's go <laughs> ahead and wrap it up, and then we will circle back at another time. All right, let's do that. Um, we'll talk about it later. Um, but yes, 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 everybody. Uh, we talked about 11, 11 Memories Retold, Subnautica, Strafe, and the Council today. This is the end of our spoiler warning, I guess. Um, but that brings us to the end of episode 111. Remember, you can stick around after the ending music to hear about uh, the banter that we talked about today. Um, pretty good banter, maybe. Um, might be speaking highly of myself here. Um, but you can bail. We'll catch you next week if you don't want to listen to that, which is totally fine. Um, in the meantime, remember, you can send us any thoughts, feedback, questions, games you want us to play, comments about the show, uh, whatever you want. Um, to multiple different ways, uh, you can send us an email at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com uh, if you want to email us there. You can also post comments on the Game Critics website whenever the show goes live over there. You can also post comments or messages on SoundCloud, which is where the show goes first. Um, and we're also on Twitter as a collective show, at sovideogames over on Twitter. And the last way you can reach us, uh, perhaps the best way to reach us, is to tweet at us individually. Uh, Brad, what is your Twitter handle? 
I am on Twitter, also Instagram, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Mm. And I am also on everything, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, my name is, uh, my username is also my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Uh, Brad, do you have anything before we sign off? No, that's it. Once again, apologies for the abrupt uh, end of the discussion, but we will circle back. And thank you, folks, for joining us. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. All that good stuff. Hope it's a wonderful one for you. Indeed. Yeah, the show will probably be out very close to Christmas. So this is our Christmas present to you. Um, But that's it. We'll be back uh, after, I don't know if if it'll be after the new year, before the new year. We've got one more show than the Game of the Year show. So we've got one more, about a couple weeks to get our games in before we do the Game of the Year show. And that's it. So uh, until next time, until episode 112, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you then. Okay, cool. Um, I'm ready to go whenever you are ready, sir. Oh, I'm ready. Can I still sound okay? Yeah. Okay, good to go. Okay, are we... We're doing oh, what am I, I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah, we're doing yeah, banter. We're of doing we're, banter. Of course we're doing banter. My brain is simply not working. Yeah. Good morning, sir. Do you want to do a fresh start or do you want to just kick it off? Um, I don't know. I have banter, though, like legit banter. All right, why don't you start and I'll... Let me drink this coffee while you're talking and I'll jump in once my brain starts working. Okay, so... I have some banter-ass banter. This is, like, world-exclusive. Oh, shit. Banter-ass banter. You've heard it here first on So Video Games. Are you ready for this, Brad? We've got some babs. Banter-ass banter. I love it. I'm ready, dude. Mm. I'm excited now. You're either going to, like, laugh or you're going to roll your eyes whenever I say this. But um, Could be both. Hit me. I am a 30-year-old man, and on Saturday, we're recording, just FYI for everybody that's listening we're recording on monday right now it's christmas eve on saturday night i Corey motley the purest human to ever walk the earth at oh the god supple age of 30 oh god where's this going i smoked weed for the first time in my life no. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely some banter ass banter you'll have to <laughs> tell me all about it because i have never and never will so let me know your perspective on it Okay, so I've kind of, I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago about, like, drugs or even probably alcohol, I, because I would, pretty much all through high school and college, I didn't, I didn't drink at all. I never was interested in, like, drugs, quote unquote. Um, And then when I turned, like, 23, I started drinking wine, like, casually. And I probably have said this on the show before, but basically, like, whenever I was in high school and college, I was very, like against like alcohol and against drugs and against like underage drinking and I was always like the DD for my friends if we went out and I was in the marching band in um in college and I mean a marching band can basically be summed up as like a 300 person group of college student alcoholics so I was like in the drum line and I would always drive everybody to the drum line parties and drive people home and I was like taking care of everybody and then when I turned 23 I started drinking wine a little bit and I made this weird path cuz usually I feel like people maybe like start with beer and then maybe go to like hard liquor and then maybe they like go to, to wine later in their lives. I don't know if that's like the roadmap for like how people mature in alcohol, but I went from wine <laughs> to hard liquor to beer. Oh, oh, the, 
they call it like the gateway, right? You're like you're like that's a gateway gateway drink or whatever, and then you're you're getting getting harder and harder stuff, right? I mean, I suppose I don't really know what like how most people do it, um, but I so I've been like drinking for a while, and I know I've talked on the show about a million times before about you know like different beer that I like and stuff like that, and I've been of the mind for the past maybe like five years, maybe a little bit longer, um, where. Um, you know, I support, I fully support the legalization of marijuana. I don't think there's any evidence out there that suggests that it's, um, you know, like a hard drug that will like eat your brain away, you know, because like there's something to be said about like, um, you know, like cocaine or, um, you know, like meth or drugs like that that are like a lot harder that like do a lot more to your body to like degrade it over time. But I don't believe there's any scientific evidence out there that supports, um, like, marijuana being in the same category. Um, and so when people ask me if I smoke, I'm always like, no, I don't. But, like, I'm not opposed to it, and I, like, support the legalization of marijuana. Like, that's kind of, like, where my go-to, um, like, like stance on it, if you will. And so um, I have some friends in town, or a friend in town. One of the parkour guys that grew up here goes to school in Arizona, and he came back last year for Christmas, and I got to meet him for the first time last year, and then he's back again this year. And he is in, if I'm not mistaken, he's in graduate school right now, I think. And he is, and his whole, like, realm of study in school is sort of, like, about drugs and about, like, using marijuana for, like, PTSD and for mental health supports and, like, you know, sort of, like, using, like, psychedelics in that way and sort of, like, trying to go against the tide of, like, this war on drugs that's, um, you know, kind of making people think that marijuana is some drug that, like, if you smoke it twice, you'll, like, die or, you know, it'll, like, you know, I mean, basically his, he's sort of, like, a scientist in that regard of, like, trying to prove the, the, the benefits of, like, marijuana and cannabis and this kind of stuff. Um, so he like knows everything about it. And, um, and so I went out with him and a couple of other friends on, uh, Saturday night and we were out in the French quarter and, you know, we were like drinking and stuff, but we weren't like going crazy. You know, we were just kind of went to a handful of bars and we're hanging out and had some drinks. And then, um, both the guys that I was out with actually live, or their families live about 40, well, it's probably about 35 minutes uh, north of the French Quarter, kind of across the lake. And so um, I decided to go back to their house and hang out with them because I didn't really know what I wanted to do for the rest of the night. And I was like, well, I don't really want to just like go home. And they were like, well, why don't, you know, you can come over if you want, you know, it doesn't matter. So I went to uh, one of their houses and their roommate had the one of the guys not Matt but the other guy um lives with a couple people I think it's a married couple and um and you know I don't really know like how people get weed I know they like buy it from dealers or something but it seems like weed is one of those things that just like everybody just has and I'm not really sure like how they get it or like where exactly like down the chain it comes like to get to people but apparently this guy had like really good, like potent weed. Cause there's like different strains of it. And some of it is like not as good or something. I don't really know all the, you know, scientific stuff about it, but they like, I really don't know anything. And so I just know that like you can smoke it in a few different ways. And um, they had this kind of like pipe thing. Like it wasn't like a bong, like it wasn't that, but it was basically just like a cylinder and you like had the weed like packed into this little like crevice at the end of it. And then you like, lit the weed on fire and then it like filled the pipe with smoke and then you like put your finger over the hole on the other end 
so that it wouldn't escape, and then you just inhale on the other end. It literally was just like a metal cylinder with like a little scoop on the end for um, like to put the weed in. And like, you know, I had told Matt like, oh, well, I've never smoked before. Um, And so he was like, well, you know, if you want to try it, like here it is. And I was like, okay, well, like, and you know, he assured me, he's like, you know, we're all here. Like it's safe. You know, we're not doing anything. Nobody else is coming over. Like, it's just, I think there were just like uh, five of us in the house. And so I was like, okay, whatever. Like, sure. Like I'll try this. So I only took like two, I don't know, like puffs or breaths or inhalations off of it. I don't really know what to say. Um, sure, sure. Two hits, perhaps? Hits, yeah. took two hits because um, I'm now I'm into drug lingo now because I'm cool yeah. and I smoke. <laughs> um, so, like, I took a couple of hits, and, and the first one, it, like, it didn't really feel like anything. And then the second one, like, my throat pretty much, like, immediately started burning, like, after I was done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I coughed a few times like a rookie and... Um, and it took probably about 10, 15 minutes or so for it to, like, set in. Because Matt was sitting next to me, and he kept being like, okay, what do you feel? Like, how do you feel? What's going on? Like, what's going on in your head? What's going on in your body? And he was trying to, like, really be there to, like, walk me through it. And that was, like, exactly what I needed. Because I feel like if I were to smoke for the first time, Matt is, like, the, the perfect person to be there with. Because not only has he been smoking for a long time, but he, like, studies it, you know, as his, like, thing in school. So he's not just, like some random dude who smokes weed a lot. He actually, like, knows about it and, like, the physiological stuff it does to the body. And so he was, like, having me kind of, like, walk him through how I felt. And at first, like, my fingers and legs started feeling, you know, like, whenever your limbs are asleep and then they start kind of feeling tingly when they're waking up? Like, <laughs> that's that's sort of how it felt at first. Uh, so uh-huh. that was, like, the first thing that happened. You know, my fingers kind of started feeling tingly. And I kept, like, looking at my hands because I don't know what... I expected them to like explode or something, but I was just like looking at them and, <laughs> and like, and I mean like I, and then I started feeling a little bit sick. Like I started feeling kind of like paranoid and like sick for a minute. And yeah. <laughs> and so it, like, it was just such a weird, like, like arc of what happened. And so like Matt was like, well, there's, he was like, the bathroom is right in there. Like, if you feel like you're going to throw up, like, you know, you can go, there's the bathroom. You can go in there if you want. And so, like, I went and just, like, stood around in the bathroom, and Matt, like, went with me and was just, like, kind of standing in the doorway, like, talking to me and making sure that I was okay, and he kept, like, bringing me glasses of water, which was the best, because my throat felt like, it felt like sandpaper, like, it was just really dry, and I couldn't, like, feel myself swallowing because it was so dry, and it felt really weird, so I I drank, like, a shitload of water because my throat felt weird, Um, and, like, really, I, the thing that like the the best way I can describe it is like, do you ever have those times whenever you're like, say you're like sitting on the couch and you're like pretty tired and you're kind of like dozing off and you like doze off for a second and you have like, like a micro nap almost and you like dream for like a split second and then you like snap out of it and wake up whenever you finish sure. dozing. Totally, yeah, it, totally. It's like the moment, the, the way I felt, it was like the moment where you realize that you're dreaming like right like right as you're waking up, it was like that split second of sort of like that uncomfortable feeling, but eternally. Like I just felt that way. Oh God. For, that sounds terrible, dude. It, I mean, it was like kind of terrible, but I was like trying to get used to it. And it was like this weird like loop in my head where I couldn't remember like something that like my short term memory was pretty much like kind of shot in this weird way where like something would happen 
And then I like couldn't remember what had happened. And then I would remember what happened. And then I would get like embarrassed about what happened because like I was talking to Matt about the guy's house we were at. Um, I like I feel like I like don't want to say his name. I don't know why. It's not like anybody knows who he is. But like just call him just call him John. John. Yes, John. Good man, John. Um, <laughs> we were at his house and like I had met John once before and he and I had like kind of like a crush on him. Like he's totally like this like adorable dude and so I was like telling Matt and like my high stupor about like how I really like liked John and was like oh dear and and I was feeling like really and but I was like being sincere and then I would like forget that I had said it and then I would like remember that I said it and then I would be like oh my god this is so embarrassing and I was like literally saying that to Matt I would like look I was like standing up with like my hand on this like shelf this like towel rack thing and I would like look and I would look up at Matt and be like, oh my God, oh my God, what did I just tell you? This is so embarrassing. And then I would like forget that I was embarrassed for a second. And then I would like say something else about John. And then I would remember that I had said it. And then I would get embarrassed again. And it was like this weird, like, I felt like I was in this constant state of like waking up from like a dream and not remembering. It's like when you wake up from a dream and you know you were dreaming, but you can't remember what you were dreaming about. Like that's sort of how it felt, but it was over the course of like, a couple of hours and it was just a really strange feeling. And I was like lying down like on a, on the bed in John's room for a little while. Cause they were just like, well, why don't you lay down? Like, why don't you just sit here and like, kind of like chill out a little bit. Um, and they were trying to tell me, cause they were trying to tell me like, like John was like, like you need to just like relax. Like you need to like, don't overthink this. But like the first thing someone tells you when they say, don't overthink this, you need to relax. The first thing you do is immediately not relax and you start overthinking it even more. So like, I, could, I couldn't just be like, oh, thanks, John. Like, let me just stop worrying about this because it was such right, a weird right. sensation. Um, and, like, at one point I had to pee because I was drinking so much water. And so I, like, trusted, like, barely trusted myself to, like, get up and walk to the bathroom and pee. And I felt like I was peeing for, like, two hours. And it was weird because I was standing there. <laughs> and I was like, when am I going to stop peeing? I feel like I've been here for an hour. And then, like, I finished, and, you know, I, like, flushed the toilet, and I, like, walked out of the bathroom. And, like, as I was walking out of the bathroom, we're talking, like, 10 seconds after finish, after I finished peeing, I, like, couldn't remember if I had peed or not. And I was like, did I do that? Because I still feel like I have to pee. Like, didn't I do that? And then I'd be oh like, oh, God. yeah, I did. I remember doing that. And then I'd be like, no, did I, though? Like, because I still feel like I have to pee. And then I was like, no, I, I think I did that. I think I did. And then I just, like, sat back down on the bed and... And, like, I kept, like, like Matt and um, and John, they're, like, they're pretty, like, video game nerdy, which is cool. And so they were, like, playing Kingdom Hearts on uh, John's PlayStation 4. And they were, like, sitting on the edge of the bed. And they were just kind of playing it, like, passing the controller back and forth. And I was just, like, lying down on the bed behind them. And I remember I kept, like, like Matt would, like, turn around and kind of check on me every few minutes and be, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? Um, you know, and he was, like, generally invested in, like, the way I was feeling. And I remember at one point, um, I would I just like put my hand up and I was like rubbing Matt's back with my hand. And I remember, oh my god! And, and I mean, he didn't care. It wasn't like a weird thing, but I was just <laughs> like. And then he, I, I told, I remember telling him like, like that I like it felt nice to touch something because it felt real when I touched it. Like everything <laughs> else didn't feel real. And I was like, yeah, this feels nice because I like know that you're real because I'm like touching you. And it was just like such a weird. Just like such a weird sensation, like, and I, and like, I got like sad at one point, and I was just like, I don't know. It was either like 
I, I feel like I felt like embarrassed most of the time because I was like saying stuff that was really embarrassing. And then I would remember that I said that the thing and then I was like, oh my God, why did I say this? Why did I do this? And then I would get like upset about being like embarrassed about something. And then I, I don't know, it was just this weird loop of like, doing something, forgetting it, remembering I did it, getting embarrassed about it, and then forgetting that I was embarrassed and then saying something else. And it was just like, it was so strange. I mean, it wasn't like unenjoyable, like just because I'd never felt that way in my life before, obviously, because <laughs> oh I'd never done anything like this. It was just oh my like, God. it was just a strange feeling. Um, you, it wasn't unenjoyable. You just described like this intense psychological horror thing. I know, like, but you it's just had like literally zero of that sounded like a good time <laughs> that sounded like you were being tortured in some kind of strange horror game where you're in a vr helmet and you don't know what's going on and like like watching like jacob's ladder or something from <laughs> like the 80s where the the hero keeps waking up and they don't know what's going on and then there's monsters and then they wake up and then there's monsters and they wake up and that sounded terrible, dude. That sounded awful. I mean, it, none of that sounded good. It was unpleasant, but I think the thing that I enjoyed, well, I mean, I enjoyed things about it because I, first of all, I had never been in that state of mind before for obvious reasons because I'd never done like any drugs in my life. So just like even if it was uncomfortable sometimes, just like knowing that I was there and knowing that I had never felt that way before, like sort of like makes me, I mean, I'm not going to like, Oh, go like smoke weed every day now, but I'm like interested in, I mean like trying it again, I guess just to see like what, like if it makes me feel the same or if it makes me feel different or, and like one of the things I really liked was just being like knowing that I was with Matt and John and like knowing that I was safe and knowing that they were like there to take care of me and that nothing was going to happen. So like that brought me like a big sense of comfort because like, I was under like pretty much the safest the safest conditions I could possibly be under, you know, two people that I trusted a lot to, you know, take care of me in this scenario. And they were very, um, you know, they were there for me every step of the way, like helping me and asking me how I felt and, um, you know, just like being really cool about everything. So like that was kind of a good um, feeling, just like being there and feeling really like safe and like really like warm, I guess, with them, um, despite how unpleasant everything I just explained it sounds but it was it was bananas it was that that shit experience. sounded like silent hill dlc the way you were describing it <laughs> and you were in the middle of it so i guess my first question is how would that have gone for you if those guys weren't as supportive and cool as they are and it sounds like they are very supportive and cool which is great i'm glad that that was how that went for you the first time but like if that hadn't have been the case how what do you think would have happened or how would that have gone for you um, I think it would have been a lot scarier because I mean I wouldn't I, I wouldn't have tried weed without knowing that it was the right circumstances because like for maybe about a year or so I have been thinking like okay I'll probably do this one day but I want to make sure the conditions are right like because like I've had opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to smoke weed before like whenever I lived in Omaha a guy I worked with I went to some house parties of his and um, you know, and I would always get offered and I'm like, no thanks. You know, I don't, I don't want to do this right now. And like at the skate park, even when I photograph skateboarders, like there's generally always at least like one person smoking weed and they just like pass the joint around and like, they always try to pass it to me and I'm like, no, no, thank you. Like I'm here with all my expensive camera equipment. I'm trying to take pictures. Like I don't need to be like getting high right now. Um, so like I wouldn't have done it under, if I knew the conditions weren't right. However, 
like say in a hypothetical situation, if Matt and John had been like, yeah, like we really support you. We're here to keep you safe and all that stuff. And then if I had like smoked and then if they were like, fuck you, we're going to bed or something. And like, they would have just like left me alone or if they would have like gone and done something else. I think that then that experience would have been a lot scarier because like not only what I, I think I just would have been getting in my head more than I already was because like all I had was my thoughts and the way that I felt and trying to like piece those thoughts together and like the, the sort of like short term memory rotation that was going on. And if I didn't have them there to talk to or to kind of tell me about like what they experienced or how it felt, I, I would have been probably really scared. I probably would have like thrown up cause I would have been like, just maybe not like hyperventilating, but just like kind of like in my own head so much that, and not knowing what was going on, that it probably would have been really scary for me. But like the same thing, the, and kind of like the, the scary thing too, and like for weed, and this also goes for like alcohol, is like, you know, whenever you're drunk or whenever you're high, like you can't just make it go away. Like you have to just like let it run its course. Like you can't just like be not drunk after drinking right. or like not high. Right, right. So that's the other thing that was kind of scary too, was thinking like, how long is this going to last? Like, there's nothing I can do to really, like, bring myself out of this. And, you know, eventually I went to sleep. I just stayed over at John's and because I was in no condition to drive, especially not drive, like, 40 minutes back across town. So I just slept there. And, you know, by the time I woke up in the morning, I felt better. I still felt a little strange, but I was, like, but I felt good. And I wasn't, like, hungover or anything. So that was nice. Um, So I think it would have been scarier had nobody been there to take care of me and it might have been so scary that I wouldn't have wanted to try it again but I know that like in the future I probably will but I still will want to be around people that I know will be there for me like I'm not just gonna like go to the skate park and smoke weed with like these skateboarders I don't know or something like that or just like sit at home and like I wouldn't just like sit at home and smoke but like if the situation was there and I was around people that I knew would take care of me I would probably try it again but I don't I think I'm like I will probably never be that guy who just like buys weed and smokes at home, but um, I don't. I don't know. I can't. I don't like make any definitive statements, but I don't see myself doing that. But um, yeah, that's it. I have I have many many thoughts here, but first, I guess what part of that would make you want to try it again? Because that sounds like a very like not swell first experience. <laughs> what part of that is like? Oh yeah, maybe I'll do that again. Like I because I didn't hear any good parts when you're talking. <laughs> um, I mean, I think just the fact that it's something I hadn't experienced before. Like, and like, and like knowing that there's only like one thing that can sort of like make that experience happen again. Um, I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, it's like, it's like exhilarating in a way. It's kind of like going to a horror movie. Like you go and see like a really scary movie and like you're scared and it's maybe not pleasant, but then you're like, yeah, I'd want to see another horror movie. Like you don't see one horror movie and get scared and then and then think, oh, I never want to see another one again for the rest of my life. Like, yeah, there's like a, a, an element of like it not being pleasant, but I also think that a big element of it not being pleasant was the fact that it was my first time doing it and I was using, apparently had smoked some like really good weed, I guess, because there's like weaker strains that like won't the effects won't be as high and I think after you smoke over and over again like it becomes less um like obviously that experience is not going to be as intense every single time I do it like maybe I mean maybe for the first like few times um so it's not like every time I smoke weed it's going to be the exact same experience I just had so there's like different ways I guess that it can affect you and I think just like sort of like exploring that sounds interesting and knowing that I had never experienced anything like that before. And even though it was kind of scary, like knowing that, um, you know, it's like wanting to go there again, I guess. Like, I don't know. Does anything I say make sense about this? 
I mean, I don't know that it makes... I mean, it does make sense in a way, but what you're describing is, like, pretty foreign to the way that I approach <laughs> it. So, like, I understand what you're saying for sure. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but, like, I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm like, okay, no, like, I don't. No, 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 no. I mean, I so, I mean, I kind of come at it from a, a different perspective. But first, I guess I want to ask, like, I mean, that sounds like really strong shit. Like, I've talked to a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, I talk to drug people, like, and I don't mean the drug. You mean, I mean, I, okay, so backing it up. I work <laughs> once a week. I go and I work with some psychiatrists. And we see people who are addicted to drugs all the fucking time. I've been to AA and NA meetings as an interpreter. I have been to rehab. I've been, you know, as an interpreter. Uh, I've done, um, resuscitations. I've done all sorts of stuff, like literally everything connected to drugs that you can do. I've done. Um, and, and keeping in mind that I don't do drugs and I don't drink alcohol or anything like that. So I've been on the other side of it. Like I've been with the EMT team and I've been with the therapist and I've been with the rehab counselor and I've been with, you know, all this, uh, the, you know, all those people. So I totally see it from the other way. And when I was growing, I don't, I, I might've mentioned this before, but when I was growing up, I grew up, um, Outside of Seattle, not in Seattle, but outside, uh, in a, I mean, in a somewhat rural area of Washington. And like all people ever did there was smoke and get high. <laughs> so I was surrounded by people getting blitz out of their minds all the time. Um, in addition to my dad being an alcoholic. So that was another factor too. So like, I have zero desire to be like in an altered state and I, I have this, um, I need to be like in control of my body and sharp as possible all the time because I would really be, I would like never forgive myself if I was like drunk or high or incapacitated and something happened, especially because I have a kid. Right. So like, but you know, if Gina needed help and I was too high to help her or anything like that would happen, I would like never forgive myself. So I would never want to be in a state where I couldn't instantly respond at the maximum of my abilities. Um, but, I mean, that, this, what you're describing sounds like a really, really, really um, strong first experience. I mean, I've talked to many people who have done drugs similar to the way that you have, like a first time where they experimented or they tried something new. And that sounds crazy. I mean, was it like a paste kind of marijuana or was it just like a, a bunch of little buds and stuff? Or like what, like, did you get a good look at it? Uh, I mean, it looked just like green, leafy, like grinded up marijuana like it didn't look any different than anything i've seen before i mean it was in okay. a pipe and i mean to be frank whenever i was describing the way i felt to matt throughout the night he straight up told me he was like yeah what you're saying kind of falls more in line with people who do like mushrooms than people who like smoke weed so i don't know if like the strength of the weed versus the you know little old me having never done it before just like really compounded to make that experience like way more intense for me i feel like that's pretty much what happened there um because that's what you know he said he's like yeah normally when people do this like they don't really describe the kind of experience that way um so i guess maybe it's just like the the fact that it was like strong weed mixed with me having never done anything like that before yeah, so yeah i mean um, I was going to say that exact thing because I can't say that I've ever heard anybody describe it like in exactly that way. I mean, it does sound like it was like laced with something or maybe it was some something else perhaps was mixed in there or you, I mean, I mean, I think certainly that, you know, like you said, you've never done weed before and stuff is a big factor also, but that sounds like a crazy, <laughs> crazy first experience. Un, unlike any other one that I've heard about, but I mean, so, you know, I deal with, with people who use drugs all the, like literally all the fucking time. 
And here in Washington, is is marijuana legalized in Louisiana or is it not? Uh, it's not legal in the state of Louisiana. Like you can't, there's not like dispensaries or anything here, but I know a lot of people who smoke. I feel like that's pretty much the case for a lot of the United States where like, even if it's not legal, like there's weed like everywhere, um, but it's not legal in the state now. Okay. So it is legal here in Washington and you can't fucking walk five steps without coming across some kind of like marijuana <laughs> shop. They like sprung up like all over and it's, 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 a little embarrassing and ridiculous how many pot shops there are here. Um, I mean, you like step outside my house and look down the street and you can see like three. It's stupid. <laughs> um, and like everybody is smoking and like, like we, we're close to a high school. And like when I drive by, it's like kids take one step outside of the school and like smoke up. And like it's not legal for kids because you got to be 21, but it doesn't stop them anyway. And they're like, yeah smoking outside and i take my kid to the park and i'm like drowning in weed clouds and i go anywhere we went to the zoo the other day and it was like we were smelling marijuana everywhere we went i mean honestly i'm kind of like i'm just like you know if you want to smoke it that's cool but i think we're getting really fucking loosey-goosey with it here in washington and i don't i feel like i have the right to to walk down the sidewalk and not be breathing in marijuana smoke if people have the right to smoke it where they want to you know like like your right to smoke stops where my lungs begin so it's like, that's a whole other issue, but it's all over the place. It's, it's so prevalent. I mean, literally, I mean, the people that I see are constantly just like smoking and smoking. I'm just like, oh God, whatever. I mean, <laughs> people want to smoke it great, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm kind of over the whole thing. But I will say in your favor, um, anecdotally with the people that we see, uh, if you are only just now starting to smoke, you're probably not going to become a regular user of it. It seems like you have to kind of use it in your teen in your teen years. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. When... I was not planning on becoming a regular user. It didn't. It didn't sound like it. it. Didn't sound like it. But just like statistically, or anecdotally, I guess is those are two totally different things. And I realize that people, so you don't have to email me about that. I know that that's two separate <laughs> things. But it's it's like not even nine o'clock in the morning. My brain's not quite working, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're probably not going to use that much. It's probably not going to be as appealing to you as if you had started when you were like 14 or something like that. So, I mean, maybe, you know, it's very possible that your cumulative sum total of experiences will be quite different than if you had started this, you know, 15 years ago. Um, so I don't know. It's crazy. That is a crazy story, man. That is a crazy story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm look at me now. I'm all grown up and like I went to lunch or brunch with Patrick yesterday and we like sat down and the server brought our food and I looked at Patrick and I was like I smoked weed for the first time yesterday and he was like what look at how grown up you are because Patrick has only smoked like twice and it was like in college so we're pretty far removed from that um so neither of us are like into that but I feel like weed is probably one of those things that it'll be like okay maybe like once or twice a year I'll do it like when a friend is in town you know kind of like the perfect situation of like Matt being in town and that kind of thing, but it's not like I'm not gonna like seek it out every weekend. Um, I'll just stick to yeah. drinking beer for that. Well, if you started drinking a while ago and now you've done weed, I mean, so in another ten years, when you hit forty, what is it like? It's, it's heroin. It'll be cocaine at forty. It'll be, co- it'll be heroin <laughs> at fifty. Um, it'll be uh, meth <laughs> at sixty. Yeah, save that one for last because that one fucks you up. So that's yeah. kind of just a downhill slope from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good, maybe LSD somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> when yeah. you're in deathbed, someone can stick a shroom up your nose and just send you off in a good way or something. Oh, uh, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> yep, that's that's the the path, I believe, the official path. Well, that is, that is you were correct, sir. You were 100% correct. That was some banter-ass banter. <laughs> Holy shit. 
Yes, yeah, our so listeners are exclusive. You heard it here first. People are in for a wild ride. This banter. <laughs> I love it too because, like, I feel like, like the United States as a whole is in such a place where. I could probably tell, like, 50 people, like, oh, I smoked weed for the first time, and they'd be like, yeah, so fucking what? Like, who cares? You know? Like, I act like yeah. it's some, like, like weed was just invented, like, a week ago, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys, I just smoked weed for the first time, and everybody's like, yeah, we've been doing this for, like, 10 years. Like, who fucking cares? Go away. Like, that's also how I feel about this, so we'll see. We shall see. We shall see. But still, I think it's kind of a, a, big, a big thing, especially, you know, first time. You're 30, I mean, your life situation, your, your past. I mean, I think that's kind of a, you know, and I meet a lot of people, I mean, kind of getting, circling back to this, I meet a lot of people um, who try for the first time in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s because we see a wide variety of people. And uh, the older, I mean, the older you get, like, the less good I think it becomes. We, I saw, um, <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to reveal any personal information here, but yeah, we had a, a lady come in and uh, she just was like, I mean, I don't think she had quite as strong a reaction as you did, but she's like, God, why do people smoke this stuff? <laughs> Fuck this. And, you know, I mean, so I guess it really, I mean, there's a lot of factors there, but yeah, interesting. But you're definitely not the only person who hits it late in life. And there's plenty of people like myself who just never do anyway. So I think it's all, it's all good. Whatever works for you personally. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say something stupid. Like, yeah, it is what it is, which is a dumb thing to say, but. <laughs> what else is on your uh your banter agenda man Did you, i mean that was huge admittedly if you got nothing else that that's totally huge. fine but that is huge you got any, anything else on your agenda i mean nothing like big i basically just i was gonna ask you kind of like talking about christmas plans and stuff because like patrick i mean obviously today's a today's christmas fucking eve like it's so weird like i i feel like christmas was it's like oh it's like six months away and then i'm like oh shit it's tomorrow like what the fuck so i and i still haven't so like i'm flying home for christmas on for today's uh, monday christmas is tomorrow tuesday i'm flying back to kansas city on friday going home for a very short trip flying back on friday getting there friday afternoon coming back on sunday night so i'll be there for like a couple of days and so like i can't really like take like, I've been trying to buy my mom and my brother, because Christmas is basically just going to be me and my mom and my brother, um, trying to, like, buy stuff, but, like, stuff that I can take with me on the plane, because, like, I know I could buy stuff and, like, send it to them, but I, I like, oh, my God, my family's, like, so hard to buy for, and and my mom, she's like, oh, just get me, like, a Visa gift card, and my brother looks to me, and he's like, your family is so weird, like, all you guys do is just, like trade different kinds of currency to each other for Christmas, <laughs> like through like gift cards and stuff. And like, like, you're like, la- a, you're like a family of money lenders. It's hilarious. Know, it's just weird. And like, la- like last year was a good Christmas. Cause I had like a list of everything I knew I wanted. And I like sent my mom and my brother, all the Amazon links for like, okay, this is like a, a studio light that I want. And this is a DVD set that I want. And this is, you know, like whatever that I want. And then like, I went, I drove home and they had everything I wanted, like, right there. It was just perfect, because every year my mom gets pissed because I never tell her what I want for Christmas. I'm always mm-hmm. like, oh, whatever. Like, you could just get me, like, some gift cards or something. And and last year I had, like, a list, and it was, like, a really successful year. And this year I'm feeling, like, the way I did two years ago. I'm just like, you know, I don't care. Like, I just want to fly home. I just want to see you guys. Like, I don't – like, I feel like we don't have to, like, buy each other a bunch of stuff. And then my mom's texting me, like, every day being like, what does Patrick want? What does Patrick want? I have to get him some stuff. Like – what does he want? And I'm like, I don't know. He just buys stuff that he wants all the time for himself. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you to get him. And she's like, well, 
how long have you guys been together? And I'm like, okay, first of all, touche. But second of all, like, that doesn't mean that I know what to get him for Christmas. So it's been this weird. So, like, yesterday we went Christmas shopping downtown. Like, there's, like, this kind of Riverwalk outlet mall thing in downtown New Orleans. And we went kind of Christmas shopping and just bought a couple things. And um, and so, I don't know. It's just, like, Christmas is, like, here. And I'm, like, trying to still buy things for people. And... It's weird, and I was basically just going to say, like, a little bit about that and then ask you, like, how your guys' stuff is going. Like, are you guys doing, like, a like a Friendsmas with people, or are you just sticking with you and your wife and your son at home, or what are you guys doing? Uh, well, Christmas is kind of, uh, I mean, probably a little bit non-standard in our house. I mean, we kind of do things at our own pace anyway, and, uh, you know, there's been a few times when we have had to work over the holiday, and we're not really, it doesn't really, like, matter that much. We don't usually get a family get-together. In fact, I kind of dislike seeing family at Christmas. <laughs> uh, I mean, I dislike seeing family anytime, so I guess it kind of goes, but doubly so at Christmas. Um, have I, I've never talked about Christmas before on the show, or have I? You probably have, but it's been a full calendar year since the last time you talked about it. Okay, at least at least 365 days, that's true. So I guess I'm okay <laughs> to talk about it again. Christmas was really shitty for me growing up, and I kind of, like, grew to, like, not like it because my parents never did not have a good relationship with me, and they did not, they never knew what I wanted. So, like, even when I was a kid, if you would ask them, what is your son into, what is he like, they would literally have no idea. They, they, there was, like, year after year where they would give me, like, these, like, wildly inappropriate gifts. Not, like, you know, inappropriate in, like, a, a naughty sense, but just, like... <laughs> Like, oh, hey, you got me a crock pot and I'm seven. That's cool. I guess I can cook things or, you know, like, like they just had no idea what I was into. But the twist to that is it's not just that they got me stuff that I didn't that I didn't want or like or had any interest in. But then they would be mad if I wasn't grateful about it. So oh like not God. only. Yeah. So not only would I get shit gifts like, oh, hey, here's a sweater that I never asked for or here's a race car. And I really don't care about race cars. If I wasn't, like, falling all over myself to thank them, then they would get mad and we'd have a fight about it, like, every fucking year. And I just, I hated Christmas because it was terrible. Um, so I'm trying to turn that around. Uh, Gina, my wife, loves Christmas, and that's awesome. Uh, my son loves Christmas, and so I am dialing back my inner Grinch. Although, to be fair, I earned that fucking <laughs> Grinch. I earned it pretty goddamn hard. Uh, so I'm dialing it back and we're celebrating, but... Like I said, we're pretty informal. We Gina and I often have to work because our job is kind of a 24-7 job. And so I'm often in, in uh, doing a gig on Christmas Day or on Christmas Eve. And same for her. She's actually working right now, as a matter of fact. And I will be uh, at work later on. So, you know, sometimes we celebrate five days later and that's Christmas. Or sometimes two days early and that's Christmas. Or, you know, and the same for their holidays. So we're, we're just going to keep it to ourselves. We're not going to have any family or friends over. Um, number one, because I just don't enjoy that really but number two because there's no way of predicting that we would actually be able to you know be there if people came over and it would just be really hard to coordinate and stuff so um gina and i don't really get each other anything for christmas because we kind of just i mean kind of like patrick like you know if there's something we want we kind of just get it at any point and just you know we don't wait for like our birthday or christmas to get a thing like we'll just get a thing if we want a thing and so we're not real big on consumerism or stuff anyway and so it's usually a game or something or you know i don't know go out to eat at a fancier restaurant than normal or something and that's kind of it but uh yeah we got the kids some stuff he got to open one present on christmas eve which is today right now so we opened one thing already and he was real excited about that and we'll do some more tomorrow and it'll just be real chill and laid back and 
Nothing huge. We got a little tree. We I talked about going to chop and vibrate the tree a couple shows ago, <laughs> so we did that and that, that you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty low key. It's pretty low key. Nothing nothing major. All right. I'm sorry to hear about your shitty family Christmas life growing up. Um it was kind of terrible. It was kind of terrible. My parents really fucking sucked in a lot of ways, and that was definitely one of them. So thank you for uh, <laughs> instilling me with a deep hatred for Christmas, Mom and Dad. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, my family are, are great therapists, though. I'm definitely getting over it, and I don't uh, hate it nearly as much as I used to, so that's good. But, uh, oh, man. Anyway, what, what else you got, man? You got anything else? Um, I don't think so. Pretty much my groundbreaking drug news and minor Christmas news is about it. <laughs> right on, right on, right on. Uh, what do I got? What do I got? What do I got? Uh, I started reading a comic book. We, you know, I mentioned I'd taken my son to the library a couple of episodes ago. So we went and got a bunch of graphic novels at the library and I was reading uh, Ms. Marvel, which is, are you familiar with Ms. Marvel at all? I'm not. So I'm not super familiar with her, but I had heard of her and I know of her, uh, but she is a Muslim superhero. She is a teenage girl who I'm pretty sure is a Muslim. I'm reading, I, I mean, I'm reading a comic that's like halfway through the series, so they haven't really gone into it specifically and I'm kind of just making assumptions. So hopefully I'm not incorrect about that, but um, she, I believe is a Muslim and she is um, an inhuman, which is kind of like the off-brand X-Men in the Marvel Universe. And she can be, it looks like she can be stretchy and she can also make her hands, or I guess she can make, make her body different sizes because she punches people with like really, really big fists and then they get small again when she's not punching people. So I, I don't quite understand exactly what her powers are, but I started reading this because it was, you know, on the shelf of the library and I had heard about her. And I have to say, it's been really excellent. The writing has been, like, basically outstanding so far. I um, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't tell you the name of the writer, but uh, I had heard this was a good series to read, and I'm always uh, interested in people diversifying and opening it up to people of other colors and races and religions, and, you know, not every superhero comic has to be about a white person who's a Christian, which is 100% true and correct. And it's really good because not only is the writing just um, really good... Oh, okay. Thank you, honey. My uh, wonderful wife has passed me the comic book. It's written by someone whose name is... Let me find it out. Where is the, where is the page? G. Willow Wilson. Uh, so I don't know... I'm assuming Ms. Wilson, because I have a hard time imagining that a man would write something like this, but I could be wrong. Guessing it's a lady, but G. Willow Wilson. Um, what was I saying? Oh, it's good because not only is the writing really good because she's a teenager and she's speaking in a way and acting in a way that I think makes a lot of sense because even though I am super Mr. Old Man, I can still remember what it was like to be at that age. I, and the other thing too is like they actually spend quite a bit of time on how she is as like a Muslim where her family is there and they are obviously not white people. They're talking about things that are not familiar to me. Uh, she goes out, like she meets this guy and she wants to go hang out with him and her parents are like flipping out. And so they make her brother go with them as kind of like a chaperone, which is something that I've heard of before. So, I mean, I don't know how accurate this is. I don't know if uh, Wilson, the writer, is a Muslim or if they have any experience with it. I mean, you know, hopefully I'm not going to say that I love this comic. And then all of a sudden somebody's going to tell me, oh, that's super inappropriate because they're making, you know, stereotypes. I mean, hopefully not. But so far, I've really enjoyed it. I think that it's sharp. She's a fun character and it's great to 
see how a superhero would deal with something like this. You know, we've seen Peter Parker's story for a million years. He's got Aunt May. He's a struggling, broke teenager. His boss hates him, etc., etc. But here's a superhero where her parents think that a lot of what she does is not appropriate, and she has some religious aspects that she is respectful of, and it gives like this whole interesting other side to things, and I think it's great. I mean, hopefully, hopefully it's treated respectfully. I haven't read enough, and I don't know enough about the writer to to say whether or not it's it's a faithful, respectful treatment of the property. But I'm digging it so far. It's actually pretty good. I would I'd recommend it. And if anybody out there listening has experienced her an opinion, I would love to hear about that. So um, any, any thoughts, Corey? Um, well, according to a quick Wikipedia search while you're talking, uh, G. Willow Wilson is a woman, Gwendolyn Willow Wilson. She was born in New Jersey in the United States, but she converted to Islam later in ah. her life. So she is an Islamic practicing woman. Um, she taught English in Cairo, uh, Cairo, Egypt, for a while. And according ah. to her Wikipedia article, she converted to Islam while she was on the plane from America to Cairo. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's what Wikipedia says, so it must be true. Um, of course, of course. Yes, everything on Wikipedia is 100% true. 100% true, yes. 100% true. She is a, the, the top line of her describes her as an American comics writer, prose author, essayist, and journalist. She lived in Egypt during her early 20s. Her first graphic novel, Cairo, was based in Egypt, was listed as a top graphic novel for teens by both the American Library Association and the School Library Journal. Her comic series, Air, was nominated for an Eisner Award, and her first novel, Alif, The Unseen, won the 2013 World Fantasy Award. She is 36 years old. So she's got some cred. That sounds like she's got some serious cred in her back pocket, so... That's cool. I mean, uh, I've really been enjoying what I've been reading so far. I think it's her writing is is notably exceptionally good because, I mean, I I know a lot about comics. I've read a lot of comics, and I can. It's you know it, pretty quickly I can read something. I'm like, okay, this is just like whatever. <laughs> They're phoning it in, and then when I read something that makes me sit up and go, wow, like you know, I notice it right away, and I within the first two pages, I was like, oh wow, this is pretty good writing. Like it really caught me. So. I definitely recommend it. I'm going to try to track down the rest of this because I would like to read the rest of the series, and it's, this seems really like cool stuff. So, um, Moving on to a slightly related thing. You know that I play Marvel Puzzle Quest, correct? Have I ever mentioned that before, Corey? <laughs> you, I would love at this point to be like, yeah, you only talk about it on every single show, but you actually don't bring it up that often, but it's always like the mobile game. Because you have said before, correct me if I'm wrong on the show, or maybe it was on a Game Critics podcast, that... The Marvel Puzzle Quest is the game that you have likely spent the most time with in your entire life of video games. Oh, 100% true. And by a, <laughs> by a large margin, by a large margin, uh, for sure. Um, so I play Puzzle Quest. I mean, not as crazy as I used to. I used to be pretty obsessive about it, but less so now. Like, it's like when I'm, I don't know, brushing my teeth or when I'm at the library or when I'm at work and I'm bored or something. So it's just like kind of like a filler right now, but I still do play pretty regularly, and uh, I'm going to just go in the weeds here for just for a second, so please bear with me. Um, so in Puzzle Quest, there are five tiers of characters. First tier is like your totally beginner noob characters that are weak, and you just basically use them to learn the game, and then you drop them pretty quick, and you move on, and then it goes up all the way to uh, the fifth tier of characters, and those guys are like really hard to get because they're really rare. Um, 
and I'm not going to get into all the details, but like you, you, you basically can't just get them. Like you have to like win them. Uh, a fair amount of luck is involved. I mean, if you're like a millionaire, you can game the system by buying enough stuff to get what you want, but most people don't have that kind of money. Uh, and so you have to play it pretty regularly for like a long time to build up um, a couple of five-star characters. That's what they're called, the five stars, this, the star system. <laughs> um, so I don't play as much as I used to, and I kind of started playing less as the star system came out, like the five stars came out, because for a while it was just like, one, two, and three, and that's all there was in the game. That's all that, that nothing else existed. Then a couple years later, they introduced like the four stars, and everybody's like, oh, whoa, these guys are strong. And this is, it gave you something to chase, right? Like it gave you a reason to keep playing because you wanted the best characters, and if you got those, then you would win more. So, you know, very clever way of, of getting more people to keep playing longer. And then after a while, they introduced the five stars, and at that time, I was kind of like starting to play less. So I wasn't winning them that often I wasn't putting in the amount of effort that it would take to get them more regularly so I was like well you know whatever if I get some I get some that's cool I'm not really playing competitively anymore and I'm just kind of doing it for funsies so no big deal but I, I did rack up a couple and ironically um the one that I got the first that I got usable and leveled up and ready to go was Dr. Octopus there's a five-star version of Dr. Octopus but the developers of Marvel Puzzle Quest were, like, trolling. Um, I don't know what happened, but, like, usually five stars are really strong. Like, their powers are overwhelming. Um, most characters can't stand up to them. And if you have one, or, or, or even better, three, which is the most you can have on a team at one time, like, you basically, it's like a win, like a win button. Like, it's, it's tough to overcome that. So I got Dr. Octopus, and for whatever reason, instead of being a real tough guy with good powers, who was able to win. He was like a joke character. <laughs> His powers were not like were not usable. They were not good. Um, he couldn't stand up to other five stars. He could actually be beaten by people who were lower on the tier as well. And it was, it made me crazy because these guys are not easy to get. And this was the first one I got. And it was like, he sucks. <laughs> like he's not good. Really, really sucky. And it just, I didn't understand why they would do this because they've kind of done kind of joke characters before but usually they're not the hard to get ones and usually it's just like oh lols whatever ha 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 that's fun a fun reference to something or you know but at least they're usable but doc ock was not usable like he was just like a serious joke so i was really kind of burned by that because i mean with all the time and effort and how long i mean it took me like probably two and a half years to get him like you know all the way usable and stuff i mean that's like a serious time commitment that's not that's not a weekend kind of thing so anyway Long story short, I had Dr. Octopus, not usable, bitter about it. He was a joke. And then last week, the developers finally got around to fixing him. And in Marvel Puzzle Quest, they can download a patch that totally changes people around. They can change their strength. They can change their powers. They can do anything they want to. And, you know, they'll rebalance the game every so often based on feedback. And the feedback on Doc Ock must have been overwhelming because they basically changed him into an all-new character. So they took away his shitty joke powers and they gave him actually decent powers. They made him stronger and now he's actually usable. And so now I'm like, hooray, I've got a five star that I actually use and he's not a piece of shit anymore. And I'm really happy because <laughs> it was really kind of insulting that I would go to all that effort and I got somebody that I couldn't even use. So uh, sorry if that was too much inside baseball, but I was really excited that, you know, after two and a half years of trying to, to get something that I could use in the five star tier, they patched it in and fixed him and they realized it was really shitty of them to to do something like that. So 
Uh, number one, jeers to Marvel Puzzle Quest for releasing a joke character in the first place. And number two, thank you to Marvel Puzzle Quest for fixing him because now he's not a joke character anymore. This, in a weird way, reminds me of um, in the first, well, not the first, but like the reboot of Ninja Gaiden on Xbox when you could buy the wooden sword that like wouldn't even cut enemies. And it's just like a kind of like a build. It's like a practice sword in the game. But you can upgrade it like 10 times if you end up getting enough money over the course of the game. And I haven't done it before, but allegedly if you like level it all the way up, it becomes this like super master, like undefeatable, like incredibly lethal sword. And you but you just have to like get it kind of a, you have to like buy it. It's really cheap as a joke first and it's like not really that effective. But if you like really put the time and energy and money into leveling it up, then it becomes like this all powerful sword. That's like the only thing. It's what I thought of immediately whenever you started talking about this, even though it's not really the same thing, but it's like kind of similar. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is kind of similar um, for sure. And it's it's not been the first time that somebody in Marvel Puzzle Quest has started off as a dud and ended up being good once they patched it in. So you can't really work up to it. But yeah, I mean, kind of the same idea of like, you know, it starts off as a dull wooden practice sword and by the end of it is something really sharp and deadly. So I'm glad. I'm glad that it's usable. Um, I didn't realize they were going to change him. So when I logged into the game and I I, uh, I looked at him, I'm like, oh, what's this? It's totally new, like a brand yeah. new surprise. And uh, it was a very pleasant surprise. So I'm glad that they fixed that mistake. And hopefully they will not do that again because that was pretty egregious. Like it wasn't even just a question of, oh, we made him a little bit too weak or maybe the power doesn't quite work like we, we thought it would. It was like, this guy's a fucking joke. You know, he doesn't <laughs> do anything. He's, yeah, it's just, ugh, that's probably shitty. Anyway, um, that's kind of all I've got this week. I don't have a whole lot of banter. Just kind of been living life, I guess. So uh, I got nothing else. You got anything else? Uh, I don't. All right, man. I say we call it quits here and start talking about some games. I can get behind that idea. Let's do it. Let's do it.